fire tribe, where you at? I hope you're ready, rising from the ashes and it's getting heavy Conspiracies, we got plenty and some are scary From aliens to Bigfoot, extraordinary, yeah, yeah Danunaki Dan and the homie Romy I was bugging out, all the crazy things he showed me Jesus bloodlines to the stars in the skies Always a good time, vibing with the fire tribe Hey, So wake up, wake up, get it cracking Rise out the ashes, I know you got a passion Kick off the convo with theories, many conspiracies Other dimensions, plenty ancient history Fire tribe, where you at? Wake up we about to get into it, I know you can't get enough At home, at work, it don't matter, turn it up Rising from the ashes, you know what's up, ayy uh, Rising from the ashes What's up everybody, welcome to Rising From Ashes, I'm Dan Unaki Dan I'm the homie Romy, what's happening Dan? What's up Roman? <laughs> uh just enjoying this uh this new setup i got you see the lighting here oh, how yeah. nice is that bro super pretty windows. yeah yeah it's great Le- actually less mysterious than other times i don't have a light <laughs> blinding my face to yeah. white to white the silhouette but uh but it's low lighting and that's what's important man right esoteric eddie popping in already What's up, dude? What's up, Eddie? I just remembered I let my brother borrow it, and he huh? lost oh, it. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I just... Oh, I, classic, classic. Yeah, that's why I don't let people borrow books anymore, man. Uh, but it's called it was, it's called uh, The Gospel of the Toltecs by Frank Diaz. And that's where primarily... I'm basically summarizing that book, but I, I did a little bit of extra research to add to it. But... uh. So we got the story of the Toltecs from 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 different sources, Mexican sources, Spanish sources, you know, actual glyphs. And so Frank Diaz pieced it all together and kind of told it in a chronological way. And uh, basically the documentary of the story and the info that we're going to get into is about the last Toltec king who uh, was very spiritual and, and had the kingdom going pr- like running prosperously and everybody loved him. But then this strange wizard came out of nowhere by the name of Tezcatlipoca, and he just started running havoc, man, just craziness. And by the end of the story, by the end of the kingdom, it's just there's just sex and drugs and rock and roll everywhere, like quite literally. <laughs> you know, are we recording now? Yeah. Was yeah, it an out? Was he oh, okay. was he an outsider, or was he like a, a wizard from within, or was he like a, a wanderer of sorts, or where did this wizard come from? All right, my bad. I didn't know we were recording, recording. So no, um, you're. I, you're saying stuff, so I was just like, oh, I should probably hit record because, uh, you know, That's it seemed like it was happens. flowing already. So yeah, let's, yeah. let's just go with it, man. For sure, for sure. All right. Well, uh, welcome, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? We're here with Esoteric Eddie. Uh, he wrote the book, The Lucifer Mystery Revealed. He was on the show uh, a little bit ago. Uh, but in that conversation that we had with him, uh, you know, he brought up some Toltec stuff and some like ancient Mexico stuff. So we were doing ancient America this month and I, I hit him up. I was like, Hey dude, how's your, how's your, uh, knowledge on ancient America? You know? And he's like, well, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, well, we kind of want to talk about maybe like Toltecs or something. He's like, Oh, I'm going to be doing a video on that. That's going to be coming out in April. So I was like, well, fuck just synchronicity i guess you know so i was like yeah that'd be great dude like come on the show and talk to us about it um 
I mean, I, I know Eddie is full of information other than just the Lucifer stuff. So it's great to have him back on the show again. And uh, how you doing, Eddie? Hey, I'm doing good. <laughs> uh, it's been a while, but yeah, just still working. Uh, as I was telling you guys, I'm going to be heading to uh, Tulum tomorrow for a week with the wifey. And yeah. uh, that was by accident, too. So I'm going to be getting some uh, some B footage while I'm out there to put into this new documentary that I'll be releasing um, at the uh, next weekend uh, of April. And it's going to be uh, on uh, the last Toltec king and his rival, which was a wizard by the name of Tezcatli Poca. Yeah. Can you tell us a uh, uh- I think you broke down a little bit like who the inhabitants and uh, inhabitants were of like Mexico, like from the first ones all the way down to the Toltec. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it started with the, the Olmecs in Mexico, the enigmatic Olmecs, which uh, some think were, were of African descent, you know, because of the, the features on the, on the huge stone heads that were found down there. And south, uh, way down south in Mexico, some people think they have, you know, Asiatic, uh, you know, uh, features. But regardless, the, the Olmecs were the first uh, Mexican civilization. And actually, it was uh, the Itzapa Stella uh, or stone that all of Mexico's um, art style came from. And I believe that was an Olmec Stella or stone it's known as the itzapa stella and that's where all the art of the art style came from and so after the olmecs it was uh, the zapotec and then after them we had um the toltec and the mayan who seemingly it coexisted but it's uh, but it seems as if the toltec kind of preceded them for some years and then uh basically after them you had the aztecs and then of course the aztecs are rolling into modern history where the, where the Spaniards and the European colonizers come in and just kind of cause havoc over there. And just, and then that's when all knowledge was pretty much lost at that point. But did the, did the Olmecs inhabit it like all of Mexico or is it just certain areas? And do you know what those would have been? The Olmecs were primarily way down South almost at the tip of South America. Okay. Uh, I know for sure that we found some Olmec heads at a site called La Venta. So I know that for sure. And uh, I'm still brushing up on, on my Mexico history. I'm Mexican, so it's kind of a shame. But I've just been so stuck on, on the Lucifer stuff and like the, yeah, like yeah. the Anunnaki, Middle East, Near East stuff. For, uh, so I'm just kind of... a lifelong kinda, journey, man. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm just now shifting gears and getting back into this this ancient Mexico stuff. The giants down there on the tip, right? That's where they find a lot of um the like the old like Magellan and uh all those old reporters they would say, Oh, that's where the biggest people in the world are down at the tip of South America and they would say like ten foot. Oh no, it's eight foot. Oh no, seven foot. And say uh, all that stuff, and uh, yeah, that's uh, what, what's your take on 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 that? The giant giant humans. Yeah, we find I, I guess a lot of uh, elongated skulls down there, like in Peru. In Peru, yeah. Primarily, my friend was down there recently. His his wife is from Peru, like native, and um, he was like, "Yeah, man, he he's like not a conspiracy theorist at all. Like he's just like such a like a normal skeptic dude." 
And he's just like, yeah, man, they showed us these big heads and and it was pretty cool. And I was like, dude, do you even know what you were looking at? Like, <laughs> those are some aliens right there, you know? <laughs> and, Who made but, uh, yeah, man. I mean, I, I definitely think that, uh, that I think that the Nephilim or I believe that the Nephilim that we know about, you know, the abominable offspring from the quote unquote gods and mankind. I think those beings, the Nephilim, were were the giants, these elongated skulls that we're finding all around the world. What's weird about the elongated skull thing is they only find their heads. They never find the rest of their bodies. That, that seems really weird to me. Like, where the fuck's Suspect. the rest of the body? Yeah, maybe why, uh why maybe the, the skulls maybe the skulls were the only thing preserved and the rest of the body was either like utilized for things because something uh you know a lot of cultures across the earth tell us that you know different body parts could be used afterlife um for different spiritual purposes and stuff so you know there's reasons there definitely are but i i definitely hear what you're saying because there's this uh there's a whole bunch of, you know, mystery behind the bones. Like, are dinosaur bones even real? You know, like, uh, can we trust any archaeologists that are ran by the system? You know, it's it's crazy, man. Yeah, I remember uh, I took some courses in college years ago, maybe like six, seven years ago on ancient Mexico. And the mainstream narrative about why the Mayans strangely disappeared, or at least one of them, is that the soil was so acidic that it ate the bones of their of their like <laughs> of their dead that's interesting that is yeah. interesting but, that, but that's we, wild actually to the jungle down there you know yeah but that is wild i've actually never thought about that like why is it only the heads <laughs> somebody's got to look into this <laughs> yeah right um so yeah i know there's not a whole lot of information about the olmecs do you do you have any more information about them um, man Man, I've got some books on them that I haven't opened up yet. But to be honest, when I, I started looking into them because of Sitchin, and it always goes back to Sitchin mm. and the Anunnaki. And nice. he, he's got an awesome book uh, called The Lost Realms, which is a part of the Earth Chronicle series where it's, yeah. it's completely dedicated to how the Anunnaki are connected to the, the Americas. And he believes, as some people do, that the Olmecs came from Africa and were guided to the Americas by the god Toth. And I apparently uh, the god Quetzalcoatl, mm. the god Quetzalcoatl, which is like the like the most famous god of the of ancient Mexico, which all of the ancient civilizations mm-hmm. believed in, uh, started with with the Olmecs. So what we do know, as I mentioned earlier, we knew we know like the like the classic Mayan glyph art style started with the Olmecs, and um, they have what seems like african features but can also be indigenous like asiatic features you know like like uh I, i'm not sure but like but so um that's pretty mysterious there and we don't really know where yeah. they came from but apparently they they claim as sitchin would say to have been guided there by some god um named Quetzalcoatl. Mm. and apparently that's hermes right or isn't isn't there a yeah. tie between uh thoth and and Quetzalcoatl, yeah yeah, yeah, Something that's, that's like a feathered Sitchin. serpent, snake. Yeah, apparently Quetzalcoatl is uh, the Sumerian Ningesida, uh, the the he of the tree of yeah. life, which is of the Egyptian Toth or Hermes. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting too. That's cool. That um, reminds me. Of, I mean, like, kind of, you know, the the sinking and the um, of Atlantis, or at least the 
the time period of that of that Atlantis, you know, and that's just like the timing fits. It's it's crazy. Well, it's like Thoth yeah. the Atlantean, right? Yeah. So I mean, yeah. it fits into that whole Atlantis thing too. Of uh, you know, these Atlanteans brought them over here, maybe from some other land. Who knows? Uh, there's, yeah, there's all kinds of things going on with South America, um, the Amazon, and everything, and uh, perma permaterra or terra preta or something like that. The soil is like man-made soil. So mm-hmm. there's all kinds of weird, interesting things. When when you know, they think that the Native Americans from America came from. Uh, like Siberia in Asia. So I'm wondering if maybe the Olmecs were maybe somewhat similar to that aspect of, of they came over from the, the, the East, you know, and, and came into America. So was, that's maybe why they're more Asiatic looking. Um, I did see a video though on YouTube of this. Uh, uh, I don't know how to describe it. I'm, without saying like you know he was a big old black dude with dreads yeah (laughs) and uh he was like going around in mexico and looking at these olmec heads and he was like look man they look just like me these are black people (laughs) and he was like showing his face next to the olmec face and they had you know he had the the bigger wider nose and the and the bigger lips and the higher cheeks and um and everything he's like it looks exactly like me he's like i don't know why people say these are asians man these are black people and uh you know i i can't really disagree with them but i've also seen pictures of uh asians next to the olmec heads and or like indigenous people uh of of mexico and and they look similar to the olmec heads too so it's it's really a difficult thing to say either way uh so that's it's super interesting though like you know where these people come from because there's so many like even the elongated heads like who the fuck are these people man (laughs) yeah and apparently they have like red hair and shit so yeah it's like some people think they they're like icelanders well maybe they're the atlanteans you know because they find a lot of these uh elongated heads also in um around the the black sea area so is there a potential of, you know, being a mixed, uh, you know, a a mixed pot of, uh, of existers, you know, maybe, you know, there's all talk of like, there was a time period when it wasn't so segregated by the way that we view segregation today, you know, populations are probably a little bit more in one place, but you know, sprinkled, sprinkled throughout or what have you. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think that there was like a more like base races back then like like today there's so much mixing going on right yeah yeah and i think back then there was just like the base races you know the the the, the four primal colors as they say like the red the yellow the black the white and then um, that's why we see all these similarities in these ancient cultures you know and then all the mixing happened and things kind of got diluted and whatnot. So it, it is strange how like the ancient, the more ancient you go in Mexico, the more unified and Asiatic or it seems. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, even, even like Mexicans, as we know them today are, are relatively new, like subsequent, like, you know, hybrid, right. With a uh, yeah. Spanish, his, Hispanic or 
whatever, and then indigenous uh, uh, Mexicans, like real indigenous Mexicans. So it's it's interesting to see, like, you know, it doesn't really, we always think like, oh, it takes like, you know, so many thousands of years, but it, it proof is in the pudding. It's only taken like a couple, two, 300 years for, yeah. for totally to change in, into a different racial identity. Yeah, dude, that's something that what, I've kind of do it. Oh, sorry. I'm lagging out. Unfortunately. Um, oh. I was, I was going to say there's the, the, what, what's up with the root language of this, uh, of like South and Central America, because I I'm I'm more familiar with like root language, you know, like Pi, Proto Indo European, and and stuff like that. But what's really fascinating to me is like the the CTS or the sex and the X, and like Mexican even has like you know it's it's in the middle there, um, and it's like African Mexican, you know, it's like kind of like mixed yeah. up there, and there's like the Toltecs and the Tex, and I'm I'm just. And now you think about tectonic plates and things, you know, technology. Yeah, you know, exactly. And there's like, there are super, uh, like fractal, you know, mandala, like super intricate, like with really great design. And obviously, you know, there's connection to the cosmology there and their fascination and understanding of what's happening, you know, above in the stars. Uh, but I, I just don't. I think I even asked this last time because I haven't still looked it up deeper, even though it's like a burning question somewhere in the, in the proverbial pot. But yeah, man, uh, the, the names, where does these, where do the names come from? Yeah. Uh, well, I know one of, I know there's a lot of different indigenous languages, but one of the main ones is what's, uh, Nahuatl. And, uh, Oh yeah, that's, that's what it's called. Nahuatl. And, What's interesting is Sitchin in the, in the Lost Realms, he postulates that a lot of the ancient Nahuatl words or dialects are similar to Hebrew. Mm. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah. And so there's definitely some cultural or linguistic uh, influence on the ancient Mexican uh, society or culture that, that may be coming from the Semitic cultures. I heard that, too, about... Wow. Um, um the african slaves supposed african slaves that came to america uh when they were singing uh kumbaya uh that was actually uh kumbaya goes back to uh a hebrew and it um it means like here here i come my lord or something like my lord is coming or some, something to that effect and uh so they you know this is what they say in the Hebrew Israelite tradition is that like, you know, they were from Africa, but they were Hebrews from Africa that came over to America and that they didn't, weren't necessarily slaves that they were already here in America. And because of the slavery thing, they just started calling them slaves and then kind of hit all that history that they're even here in America. So it's kind of interesting too that, that, that the Mexican like native language connects also to the Hebrew. That's pretty interesting. But then if you go back to the biblical story of 13 tribes, right, they were all spread out all over the lands and they all would have spoken Hebrew at some point, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there is a legend in ancient Mexico 
about the their legendary place of origin called Atslan. Atslan, are, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, we've, we've talked about this before and how, how it's it means the place of the ice um, or the white place. The place so, of whiteness. So, yeah, so so some people postulate that that could have been, you know, when they were crossing over from uh, oh, the, the, the Antarctic. Street. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a- so it's it's pretty it's pretty apparent, I guess, that, that these old Mex, these early Mexicans, were came from somewhere else, and were were led there. I mean, that's literally what their tales tell them. Is like the basic Mexican tale is that the the original natives were led there by by uh, their god Quetzalcoatl, and he told them to keep going there until they found uh, an eagle perched up on a cactus eating a snake, uh-huh. and that's why that is on their on the flag so even their, their tales you know mention that they were they were led there you know they didn't just they weren't born there they were led there what why do you think the symbology of the bird eating the snake considering the fact that some of the pyramids have snakes on them and they talk about like these plumed serpents it seemed like they venerated or worshipped this plume serpent or snake yeah, why would why would they be searching for an eagle capturing yeah, a snake? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> it's, it, sound, it sounds like Quetzalcoatl, because Quetzalcoatl is like described as a feathered serpent. So yeah. Well, he's the like bird. He's like, off, right? So he's the bird. Yeah, yeah. Well, he it's, there's like there's snakes and serpents in in the in the photos or paintings with them, but it sounds like like it could be just like um you know resemblance of him of, or you know when you find the perfect unity place uh, of of when the the unity cuz it sound, what if what if they were on the water and um during a flood right and boats going to where they need to go following the 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 word of god and the and you know but but maybe maybe it was birds and they were following birds or something you know and then i i don't know I don't know. Yeah, maybe just, it's I'm a hybrid here. because Thoth is like a bird man and uh, he's also one of the serpent people. So they just kind of combined it into the plume serpent, like a feathery serpent being that Thoth was the bird man that showed him this way to this uh, new land. And he was also a serpent person. Yeah, there could be a lot going on. And, and I'm definitely going to have to look into it, come back and do a deeper episode yeah. of these <laughs> symbologies. But what I can get into, I guess, tonight is this is kind of this documentary I've been I'm working on. Yeah, let's which get is into about that. the last Toltec leader, which is a fascinating story in itself. And I think in this story is kind of the hidden uh, source of where all this like craziness in Mexico started with like cartels and La Santa Muerte oh, and, right. and just all this. Yeah. Cause in Mexico, Mexico is like a hotbed for, for occultism, you know, and the La Santa Muerte, the religion of, of the saint of death is this is huge over there. It rivals Christianity. It might, there actually might be more practitioners of, of that religion of La Santa Muerte than Christianity over there at this point. And most of the cartels. I like that. Can, yeah. Yeah. Can you explain uh, that? What's it called? La, La, La Santa Muerte. La Santa Muerte. What, what is that? What do they believe in? I've never heard of it before. Dude, it's it's wild, man. It's it's a, it's a it's a wild thing. There are some cool documentaries on online, and, and uh, 
I don't, I think, I think there was this one, I forgot his name, but he's, I think he's been on Joe Rogan a couple of times. There's this like FBI agent or something who was stationed over there for years, like investigating these cartels. And, and he said that La Santa Muerte is just rampant over there. And he's come across some gruesome ceremonial sites, oh, just dead animals. Like voodoo type shit or what? Oh yeah. Major voodoo stuff, dude. Oh, because La, La, La Santa Muerte would mean the, the saint of death, right? yeah so imagine the virgin mary right yeah and instead instead she's just a skeleton oh okay yeah i've seen that before yeah so it's yeah. it's huge in mexico it's I, I i'm not an expert on it i just know that it exists and that it's it's rampant i mean and that uh, a lot of the cartels follow that religion and a lot of just like regular people but because the mexican as you mentioned earlier right uh the modern, what we would call Mexicans, are hybrids, and I'm one of them. I'm a hybrid. Yeah, uh, you know, we're a mixture of of the Spaniards and the Mexicans. Mexico and Mexicans are actually a native word. They call themselves the Machica, and so oh wow, yeah. So the Machica was actually a, was a, was a universal word for the whole entire land, but uh, there was a bunch of different types of Machicans, like. Uh, the Mixtec, the Zapotec, the Toltec, the Mayan, and, and all kinds of other things. Like my people, my my family comes from northern Mexico, from uh, a place called uh, Parral, Chihuahua. You know, Chihuahua, the, the state yeah. is Chihuahua. The city is Parral. Actually, is that's where uh, uh, Pancho Villa was shot down, dude. My dad, when I went there as a kid, he shot me. The, he, I mean, he shot me. He showed me. <laughs> I was like, dang, that's what, <laughs> how's that history lesson? <laughs> right? No, he showed me the church where he got shot down in front of. Wow. But, but our people, we're, we're Northerners. We, we have, we're more mixed in with like uh, the early, early Aztecs who came from the, the South America, South uh, United States of America, yeah. and then migrated down here and just ran havoc on all the smaller tribes. And they were known as the, the Chichamec, which means the dog people. Or people oh. of the dog. Yeah, and that's where we get we got Chihuahua. Yeah. The Chichamec, the Chihuahua. That connects in with what's uh I forget how to say the name. It's like Cho Choloto. Oh, the dog. The dog, right? The hairless dog, yeah. Yeah, it's, it looks like Anubis though, right? Yeah. The death yeah, yeah. saint. Epic. The saint of death. He's the Dude. and Anu Anubis in Egyptian mythology is the one who uh prepares the body for the underworld and takes them on the on the barge or whatever through the underworld yeah yeah you know yeah. that's something that kind of uh i i was contemplating or not contemplating but today i was having some downloads this morning i was i was trying to look up more on the mound builders and trying to answer some questions that um i was having and then we were talking about on the telegram chat and whatnot and then so i started listening to um, I, I think it was Dr. Gregory Little. You know, he did like a big book on the Denisovans and then he did the mound builder stuff back in like the early nineties and late eighties and so on and so forth. But, um, he was kind of reminding me about, you know, the, uh, sorry, this is just completely off topic. I do apologize, but we're, I'm going to get, get back into it. But the, um, you know, <clears throat> The importance of like South, South, Southern American states, like you have Memphis, New Orleans, that area right into the water, Texas. And then you, then from there you reach into Mexico 
And so I'm wondering if at some point that was above land, right where the Gulf is there, right? Those waters were above land. Above water. And the land was above water. The land was above water. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Kansas is this magnetic hotspot. You know, it's one of the, the most electromagnetic hotspots in the country on this continent, supposedly. And you, you have all Kentucky? this connection with what? Kansas or Kentucky? Oh, sorry. Kentucky. Sorry. Sorry. It's right above. Like that's right above Tennessee. Yeah. Right above Tennessee. My, <laughs> I've been doing some Wizard of Oz digging lately. And so uh, <laughs> yeah. my, my, my man stuck in Kansas. Anyways, so Kentucky, uh, uh, Mississippi and Tennessee and all that right there. And that's what you, there's all these Egyptian names. Right. And so I was like and then I put a map superimposed of America over and you know the other continents across the pond and there's this like weird correlation with the 33rd parallel and everything over there like it's like flipped or mirror image kind of um and uh yeah it was just i don't know it's like fascinating and then all these pyramids are down here when it lines up right outside the what when you go past the water it lines up and there's all these pyramids built on that like uh that vertical line going up yeah. And I'm like, fuck, what if there was two Egypts at one time? Or if this was in Egypt, um, and I mainly thought of this because you guys were talking about Anubis and the hairless dog. And so, you know, you have all the crossovers of these gods and then you have the, you know, the architectural crossover. And, but there's these variations. And I'm wondering if one is an older Egypt, one's a newer Egypt, or if they were kind of both maybe Egypt at the same time. Or Atlantis at one time or, or whatever. Um, but that was like a random tangent of thoughts I had today. And I wanted to get your guys' take on, on what you guys think about that. Man, I think, well, yeah, I think it's, that's probably what was happening because if it was Toth, right, that brought the, these people to the Americas to kickstart this new, this new civilization, then it would make sense. And I, I'm, I'm trying to find uh, here online where Sitchin makes the connection, but he makes this beautiful connection in the Lost Realms, where in Egypt history, there was a small time period where apparently Toth was actually kicked out of Egypt. And right at that time period is when the Olmecs arrived in Mexico. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, wow. One of the things I would say with with the American Egypt thing too is is uh, the Mormons. They were here in America, and they probably named a lot of these areas after places in Egypt. And being that they are uh, from Lehi or Levi, uh, which was one of the tribes of Israel. Uh, you can maybe get that connection from that. So maybe America would be the the second Egypt, not necessarily the first. And even so, even uh, Eddie is talking about the story of of Thoth bringing them over here. So that means they must have came from that land over to these lands. So to make this, a new Egypt, yeah, this would have been a second second time. Or the here. new Atlantis yeah. that that Francis Bacon speaks of, you know, arriving in the West and the the new Atl Atlantis kind of thing. And yeah. wow, I wonder. Yeah, maybe that. Fuck. Okay, side tangent. Um, Eddie, <laughs> please uh, to go on with your story. Sorry about that. It's all good, man. It's all good. I was gonna uh, throw out Amaru to uh, Amaru mm -hmm. Ka uh, because that means uh, shining serpent, and uh, so but. Apparently, they called America Amaru 
Ka. Uh, so that's a, that's an interesting thing too, because that means you know the shining ones were here at one point. So if Thoth was one of the serpents and a bird, this plume serpent were in America. I guess that would be the the connection there. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, but uh, I was just kind of uh, saying, like, yeah. So, so we're, the New Mexicans are what we view them as are, are hybrids, but um, the ancient religions of of Mexico were polytheistic. You know, they they belonged to the old world. There was multiple gods. And it wasn't until the, the Christian colonizers came and just just ravaged it all and changed it all and brainwashed them and all that stuff. But it was easy for the Catholic priests to to get us to to follow Catholicism because they were already we were already idol worshippers. We already worshipped, you know, statues and this and that. So uh, that's at least that's my opinion. You know, when you when you see like the Virgin Mary and all that stuff in Mexico, Mexico is primarily Catholic. You know, so we were already like a religious and spiritual people. So we were kind of duped into Christianity and following that kind of stuff. It's kind of the same thing that happened in in the West with uh, the pagan religions going into Christianity and how there were similarities. So it was easy for them to fall into Christianity. Same thing in Mexico. They were, they were, they were already re- very religious and spiritual people. So it was kind of easy for them to fall into Catholicism. But um, the story that I'm going to tell, or the story that's in this documentary that I'll be releasing is, is how we went from being spiritual people uh, and to now practicing human sacrifice and worshiping death. And also what I believe is, is the uh the insertion of the massive drug usage too on on the land of mexico i believe that mexico has has been cursed oh since since the fall of the toltec kingdom because of this evil sorcerer by the name of tezcatlipoca and uh yeah so it's fascinating yeah it's awesome man yeah go into it man all right all right i can't wait so just some quick background about Mexico history. So yeah, when, sure. when the when the priests first came over here, when the monks came over here, there was uh, one dude in particular who was named uh, Diego de Landa. And he's just a notorious guy, for, notorious for burning basically 99% of all of their writings and, and killing a bunch of the, the natives and destroying a bunch of the a bunch of the places over there. And um, I, I have one of his books. And but what's crazy is Diego Delanda. So he was responsible for this destruction. But unfortunately, he's actually also the only reason uh, why we have so much information on the Mayans and Aztecs now, because he chronicled a lot of, of that. And he chronicled a lot of what he saw. He journaled it and wrote it down. So we know a lot about them and their customs before the colonization because of his personal journals, which uh, are published. And then uh, apart from him, we only have like four actual codices or books from from the uh, ancient Mexican people in existence, four out of probably the hundreds of thousands that existed. And uh, we also get information on them from what is was what is called the Florentine Codex. And it was put together by the 16th century Spanish um, friar by the name of Bernardino de Sahagún. 
and he was a bit more benevolent. He actually worked with the natives and uh, he can, he comp- uh, put together a 2,400 page uh, book known as the Florentine Codex, which has illustrations and stories that were put together by some of the natives that were helping him. So uh, we also have information from that and a couple other things. And also um, some uh, amazing, you know, actual native Mexican historians like Enrique Florescano, who has uh, reached out and, and gathered, you know, the, the native side of what happened when the colonizers came and kind of uh, allowed us to, to hear those stories as well, that side of the story. So uh, the book that I'm mostly referencing from for this research and this documentary is from a book titled The Gospel of the Toltecs by Frank Diaz. It was uh, released in like 2006. And it's an amazing piece of work. So he took all those different sources that I just named and more, and then put together a chronological story about the last Toltec king and this wizard. Um, So I'm going to get into that story. Yeah. All right. So the Toltec kingdom at the time that this king was born was around um, the late 800 uh, common era. And uh, actually the story uh, that was, that was, that is told was prefaced by this, by this uh, elder by the name of human. So in Diaz's story, mm-hmm. it starts with this prof, this prophetic elder by the name of human. And it says Human. That Hugh, yeah, kind of kind of funny, right? <laughs> it's spelled hue like as in colors, but yeah. like human. Um, and it says human lived up to be 300 years old. Holy cow. And, and he's writing this, uh, get this, he's writing this uh, at uh, 33 BC, the year 33 BC. So Human the Elder, he's, wow. a to- he's a Toltec elder, and he's he's putting together their history in, in a legendary book that we have yet to find called the Theo Moxley, which is known as the Divine Book. And in that in the Theo Moxley, he prophesizes about a king that will rise up and be the last king who's going to go through these trials and tribulations. And so that king is uh, in in uh, Nahuatl Ke uh, Akatl, which in English means one reed. And he's, his name is One Reed because that's the year that he was born in. One Reed, you know the the the, the Mayan Aztec calendars, they have all kinds of different uh, holidays and, and celebrations and and names, which I'm not an expert on at the moment. Um, but that's why he got that's why he got the name. So so we'll just call him One Reed for sake of uh, you know it being a hard name to pronounce in Nahuatl. But so one <laughs> One Reed was born. Around late 800 Common Era, I believe, or early 900 Common Era, and but prior prior to him being born, his parents uh, were both warriors. His his dad was actually the the king of the Toltec kingdom before him, and his mom was just like a regular gal from a, a different land, and who was born um, under some elderly couple who were priests. And as his dad, who I believe was his name was. Uh, Mixcoat, his name is Mixcoat. He was going out to subjugate some different lands, you know, go go hunt for some new tribes or new land. And among that journey, he came across uh, one Reed's mom in, in the forest and, and found her bathing. And uh, he he attempted to to kill her, you know, throw a spear at her, but she was like sporty and she dodged it. And they got they got down in this battle <laughs> like a Mister and Mrs. Smith kind of thing, yeah. you know. And so they impressed each other and uh, decided to get together after that. Um, but uh, 
she ends up getting so she she ends up getting pregnant and get this um, by an immaculate conception. Mm. She she gets impregnated through that way. Um, the story says that she was bathing in, in a divine uh, you know river or kind of like lake, and uh, this fish comes up and gives her like this this shiny jade marble thing, marble stone, and she she's naked, she's swimming, so she puts it in her mouth for safekeeping, and then she accidentally swallows it, and that's how she gets pregnant. So uh, she gets pregnant, oh, wow. and and uh, Mix Goat, the father, he, he's it's kind of like a Joseph and Mary thing. He's freaking out, like thinking it's infidelity. So he goes and seeks out the oracle, and the oracle tells him, like, "No, you're good. Like this, this is a divine birth. Your son's going to be a spiritual leader." So they so they keep the baby, and his dad announces to the kingdom, like, yeah, "We're going to have an heir to the throne." And uh, his brothers, one reads uncles, grow jealous of this and actually ambush and kill the king. Um, and then his mom. Who has who is uh, Chimalma? That's her name. She ends up uh, having one reed, birthing him in the forest, and then dies during birth. And uh, so, and then his uncles, which are these like devious dudes, uh, hire some some maidens, some corrupt maidens, to kill the baby, to dispose and kill the baby. And as the legend goes, they they attempted to kill him like three or four different ways, and each way he's like miraculously saved. And the last way is, which is kind of weird again, they throw him in the river, hoping that he will he will drown. And he's just floating down this crazy river, and they're like, "All right, cool, we did it." And uh, this this farmer or this bystander down the river finds him, takes him in, and then right? It's kind of like Moses and all yeah, this Yeah, it's Moses, dude. The little <laughs> reed basket. Yeah. And so he's found, and then luckily, um, Chimalma, his mom's uh, parents, one reads grandparents, hear about this. So they they take him in after that. They take him in and raise him in secrecy. And he just grows up with the same spirit of his parents. He's sporty. He's 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 a hunter. He goes out and hunts and, and all this stuff. So by the time he's, I believe, 12 it is he he decides to uh his uncles find out about him at that point and fearing for their lives and for their position of power they decide to deceive him and invite him to the palace like hey we're glad you're alive come come have dinner with us but they're planning to kill him of course and he's aware of this so uh he beats them to their plan their plan was to have him meet them at the top of one of the temples and they were going to push him down, but he, he beats them to the plan and he meets them up there first. And then as one of them's walking up there, he bashes him in the head with a, with a stone, a vase. And then just, he just falls to his death. And then the other one comes running up and he does the same thing to him. So he, he kills his uncles, you know, or, you know, uh, for the vengeance of his father. And so, uh, one reed takes the throne and he becomes the king and uh the people didn't like his uncle so they're happy they're happy about that and he he uh he leads the kingdom to prosperity and he's guided under the wing of the priesthood so the priesthood starts telling him the secrets about life and astronomy and all these different things and right around at the age of 27 another significant number he goes into meditation for 4 years so he comes out of meditation at the age of 31 and that's when he actually becomes officially crowned as king 
And uh, at the age of 31, he, he's officially crowned king and, and all the things start changing in the kingdom. And it's an age of prosperity. And there's no more poverty. Everybody's pitching in. He's all about the arts and culture. He's, he's giving support uh, to people who are innovative, to artists and all these things. And then things start to go, you know, bad. Uh, out of nowhere, this sorcerer by the name of Tezcat Lipoca enters the kingdom. And in Diaz's book, all we know is that the first person to have seen him was this farmer in the forest who was gathering wood. He's uh, he's um, he's out there gathering wood, and then this old old man comes up to him and starts asking him questions. He's like, "Hello, like, do you know one reed?" And he's like, "Yeah, that's that's my lord, that's my king." He's like, "Oh, nice, nice, like." Tell him I'm looking for him. Tell him to come and meet me at this mountain tomorrow by himself. Sketchy. Yeah, it's just like this sketchy, old, weird, like wizard looking dude. And uh, so and then the guy's like, oh, I'm not going to tell him. He's a busy guy. He's my king. I can't just go tell him some random old guy wants to see him. And then uh, this old man like does like a magic trick in front of him and turns like an old branch back to life with flowers on it and gives picks one of the flowers off and gives it to him. He's like, give him this. Like, I'm, I'm sure he'll come see me. So the guy freaks out and runs away and, and it gets a hold of one read and one reads fascinated by this. So he goes with his guards to go find the old man. And, and then all they find is this deranged schizophrenic in the forest. Uh, who who doesn't know what they're talking about. He's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Get away from me. And it's just like a strange omen. Just kind of sends chills up his spine. Like, what the heck? So they just leave it alone. And what we later find out is that uh, this, this, this wizard, this sorcerer can actually shapeshift. He can take on people's form. So what I think happened there is he, he possessed this old man and, and to, to kind of get through but um, so shortly after that, uh, uh, one read being this meditative vegetarian um, uh, who's also celibate, he, he doesn't partake in sexual you know, action or anything like that. He starts he's greeted by these strange foreign, as they say in the book, whores. So the first attempt that Tetskalipoka takes at, at one read is he masks himself. He shapeshifts himself as a whore with a couple other whores and they uh, go to the temple and they, they seduce him. They try to seduce him, try to get him to, you know, break his celibacy, but he doesn't, but, but they keep going to the palace trying to do this. And as they're going to the palace, some of the people are seeing this. They're starting to see these horrors going in there. So they're becoming suspicious and thinking like, what the heck is the king, you know, partaking in lustful behavior. So it starts to rub on other people and influence other people. And so people, the, the kingdom starts to get a little jealous and starts to partake in, in lust. And some of the priests are now being seduced. And before you know it, people are just becoming lustful and, and, and partaking in, in prostitution and stuff like that. Because they're like, well, if the king can do it, why can't we do it? And uh, so that's one of the first things that he does to kind of start to start to uh, spread dissent within the kingdom. And um, let me see here, kind of going down these notes. Um, let, can I can I throw a couple uh, questions at you while you, while you're searching? Um, so to, to clarify a little bit, this is taking place in 800 AD. Correct. Okay, and then the human guy it was is is the one that's telling this story though. Well, 
No. So Human, he he told the prophecy about oh, okay. this taking place. Okay, he's told the prophecy about this happening. Okay, gotcha. Yep. This story was actually, uh, as uh, Frank Diaz put it together in his book, The Gospel of the Toltecs, had to be pieced together from um, the different sources that we have available to us that I mentioned in the beginning, like, like we all Diego de Landa, the, you know, wild, crazy priest, he burned like 98%, 99% of, of the Aztec and Mayan books. So this story had to be pieced together from the fragments of what we have left over. All right. And, and so he gave this prophecy in around mm, late 200 AD or so. Or in the 200 AD area, because uh, he lived to 300, right? So, oh, well, he was telling he was telling this in in the year 33 BC. Oh, in the 33 BC, is already yeah. telling the story. Oh, yeah, so okay. in 33 BC, Human had reached 300 years of age and was putting oh. together um, what is known as the Divine Book, which which okay. is, is a legendary book we have yet to find. And wh- where where was he from? He was a Toltec. So was, th- there was already Toltecs around in BC era. Yeah, legendarily speaking, yep. Okay. Because usually when we hear about like Mexico or ancient Mexico, it's usually somewhere in the 80s. So this goes back to BC. Okay, got it. That's where yeah. my confusion went. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's a legendary date and a legendary guy. You know, it it could be that he was from, you know, another part of the world, you know, and that, that yeah. the, the, their lineage just continued on to the Americas that we've kind of alluded to earlier. Yeah. 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 But uh, let me see here. So, so the story uh, goes on with these different acts that Tezcatli Poca does. And, and so it starts off with these, with these lustful things that he's trying, he's starting to break down the morals of, of the, of the kingdom. And people start kind of getting a little more loose with their, with their sexualness. And, um oh went too far there well one interesting thing too that we learned about uh the lemurian conversation with uh sarah Brespin cosme was like that the lemurians were more of a matriarchal society and uh it was a lot more about the woman and, and the queen more than the the man and, and the king so it's very interesting you know that they would bring whores in you know and and parade them around it just seems uh yeah interesting deceitful yeah there's a few things there i mean even the lands of america you know you have that feminine aspect to to like the americas so it's almost as if like the the women got left and started these old their own like cities and uh areas in in the america region and and brought them up in some way you know Mm, the great mother Mm, interesting i like that it's beautiful yeah yeah uh and so uh as the story continues there's another strange episode where where uh one read he's kind of like stressing out over all this Lust, all this lust has taken place. So he goes to a nearby ball court to go meditate. And as he's over there, Tezcatlipoca sends two emissaries to go um, pester him. And they say, like, they challenge him to a game. And so uh, one read 
you know, he, he takes on the challenge and he beats these these strangers at the ball game. And they they wagered for precious stones, but the emissaries give him corn. And one read is kind of like, this isn't what we wagered for. Like, get that out of my face. And because of that, the emissaries, they get frustrated or angry and they, they curse the land. It says, because you've refri- refused our reward, your lands will now be met with, with uh, famine and drought. And that's exactly what happens after that. So a drought falls on the land and there's famine and people are suffering and dying and falling out. So again, you know, one read throughout this whole time, one read, he always reduces to meditation. And I'll pause here and I'll say that I, I think like all the mythologies and religions, I think a lot of this is kind of like moral tellings. If you pay attention to some of the, some of the symbology and what happens, it's kind of a moral mythology. Mm-hmm. But I also do believe that some of it is based on an actual history that took place. When you're when you're talking about the ball game, when you said ball game, for some reason, like other things started to click in my head. It's very interesting because, you know, a lot of times uh, people are playing games against this uh, ominous figure for like their soul or something. You know what I mean? You know, uh, and that goes with Thoth, too, who created the deck of cards, the 52. Uh, If there's 52 weeks in a year, he was the guy with the calendar. And, uh, you know, the cards are supposed to represent the calendar in a way. And so playing for your soul against him is is interesting. And, and so playing for that same type of thing with this ball game, all these different ball games, you know, the, mm. ball, uh, the ball god so uh, or the bull god. Um, so it, that's very interesting. Can you talk more about this ball game, though? Because I think that's a pretty interesting thing. I, I know a little bit of the details, but do you know do you know how it was played? I know there's like the ring up in like on the side of the court or something, but yeah, do you know how, how it was played or how many people were in it or anything? I uh, man, I don't know the details, but like you said, it, yeah, it was, it was just like this, this stone, almost like basketball, but instead it was like kind of flipped on its side. The, the basket yeah. was flipped on its side and, and you, you played it with your hips. So it was oh. kind of like a really early precursor to soccer, I guess. But, but instead of kicking it with your feet, you actually hit this rubber ball with your hips. Oh, you hit a rubber ball because a lot of people will talk about how you, they played with heads, severed heads and stuff. Yeah, but there's no bounce. There's no bounce. (laughs) Well, the loser would have to like cut their, get their head cut off a lot of times. Oh, okay. So you played, you played, it was like to the death type of game that you played, (laughs) but it was with a rubber. How would they have rubber balls? Did they have rubber at that time? Well, you know, the funny thing is that the Olmecs, the, Olmec means people of the rubber, rubber uh-huh. people. They come from the Olmec, the Olmec trees or something. But yeah, rubber is huge down in Mexico. That's where a lot of our tires come from. Oh, and, and if you see the shoes, the shoes that are worn down there, a lot of them have like these like thick rubber soles. Wow. That's, That's fucking amazing. one of the coolest things I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. Because I know for the Chicle, they were the ones who would like cut crosses in the tree and they originated getting the sap from the tree to create gum and that's how the chewing gum was created is from the chicle trees Very which similar. i did a segment for i think in one of our early shows when back yeah. when i was 
back in the day when I used to do plant medicine shit and then I veered <laughs> off of that pretty hard, but I always thought that was fascinating. And yeah, obviously their connection to nature is, 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 you know, renowned into the stars as, you know, the micro macro goodness. I, uh, before we get into this fascinating story in which, uh, is just really great. I love it. Uh, and he said the ball game, which made me think of bowls. And I was wondering what type of like bowl symbolism or have you heard of any stories of bowls in South America um, that stick out to you? I'm just curious about bowls. They're super fascinating. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are some, but it's not nothing that I've come across yet. Bowls, man. Yeah, we're good. This is we got to dive into this, man. Like like I said earlier, like I'm kind of shifting gears back into the the, the ancient Americas. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there, man. And the ancient Mexico, like the Mayans, they were very precise astronomically, and they kept a really close watch on all that stuff. I mean, their calendars are precise, man. They something was going on there for sure. Yes, yeah. dude. I vibe, but that's so beautiful. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I'd love to get you back on uh, in another. Uh, later down the road and and talk about like the 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 calendar system and stuff like that and astrology more so you know yeah i've got a book on it so i'll probably just dig into that and pull out some and, awesome and, notes. and the counting system what the reads mean i actually watched a video on that and so i know a little bit i forgot most of it but i i know what you're referring to with the reads they the way they counted was they had this 10 it was at a 10 system i think i think so yeah yeah so uh, yeah that's fascinating stuff i want to know more about that too uh but sorry man carry on no 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 worries (laughs) the story gets crazy man i have yet to tell you how it ends and it trust me it's it's a wild ending but uh so so he, he loses his ball game and he refuses the reward which is corn and then they the land falls into to famine and and drought and so uh one read as he usually does, falls into meditation, meditates to uh, the creator. See, although the ancient Mexicans were polytheistic, they did believe in a ultimate creator in his name. Mm. I might butcher it, but it was Ometioto. I forgot what it means, but that's the, that's the name of the, the etherical oneness creator, Ometioto. And he's actually, the, the glyph for him is an eye. It's almost like a pyramid and an eye. <laughs> it's an interesting glyph. But yeah. uh, so he would fall into prayer and, and prayer to the creator of all, or sometimes to a patron God. And in this case, when there was famine, he paid to, he prayed to the patron God of the rains known as Tlaloc. So he prayed to Tlaloc and, and interestingly, interest, interestingly, Tlaloc told them that if he wanted the rains to come back, that they would have to go to this nearby kingdom and snatch the daughter of the king and sacrifice her. And this troubled one read a lot, you know, because at this point there was no human sacrificing. So he didn't want to do that. And he was wanted to find a different way to do to to appease the God. And so he told the priest to not get this information out. And uh, Tezcatlipoca, being among the priests, you know, disguising himself, found out and then ran around the city excuse me, telling everybody like this, like this, this lady, this, this daughter, she's the cause of the curse. We must go and kill her and sacrifice her. So he like incited this mob to just run over to this kingdom and snatch this poor girl and bring her back to the, to the kingdom, kingdom of the Toltecs, uh, the capital, which is known as Tula. And uh, man, they just massacred this poor, poor lady, this poor chick. 
And that was the beginning of human sacrifice. And then after that, people were just going crazy because Tezcalipoca was was teaching the people that, well, uh, if that's what the gods want, if that's what's going to bring the rains and prosperity, then we must continue this. We must continue sacrificing. And so we started hypnotizing the people and, and he would actually carry around mushrooms with him and he would make mushrooms, uh, uh, teas and he would get the people really high and, and start like just freaking them out with all this, with sorcery. And, uh, the people became ecstatic and, and started just sacrificing each other and some of them sacrificing themselves and in in Diaz's story, which apparently from from the actual story, what ha- one in one particular instant, uh, Tezcatlipoca kills an old woman, and and cuts her face off, and then play, throws it on one of his servants, and his servants like running around the town with this old lady's face off, like persuading everybody, uh, persuading everybody to to sacrifice themselves. So <laughs> things are just fuck. going, yeah, things are just going haywire. I mean, people are just having all kinds of crazy sex, you know, infidelities happening, you know, even the priests are becoming corrupted by the infidelity and the, and the lustfulness. And then now people are sacrificing themselves, killing each other, you know, skinning each other's faces and wearing them. Um, and just wildness is going on. And the people are starting to kind of like, uh, take on the side of, of Tezcatlipoca, this strange old sorcerer who just came out of nowhere, you know, and it's just starting all this havoc. And uh, another thing that he did apparently was he went into a sacred temple where this divine black stone was held that was used to talk to Ometioto, the creator of all. And he uh, just broke it into pieces, which can symbolize the, the disconnect, I believe, uh, that they lost at that point with the creator of all. That's very interesting. A black stone that that's like in Jerusalem temple too, right? They have that meteor inside the temple. That's a a black stone. Uh, Yeah. uh, Talking about Mecca. Yeah. No, not, not the big square they go around, but the one inside uh, Jerusalem inside. Oh, They don't Uh, let many people down there, but they describe it as a black stone. Yeah, because the one on Mecca, actually Mecca is is guarding a black stone also. Oh, is it? Yeah, that big cube thing. Actually, one of the corners has this this black stone built into it. Uh, That's actually what people are walking around is to touch that black stone. What is Mecca? What is this? All right. so, (laughs) So Mecca is a place... Um, in the Muslim world, I'm not an expert on it, but it's, you might've seen pictures of it. There's this big cube, this huge cube building and that all Muslims, they pil- they make a pilgrimage to Mecca, which is like their holy lands where like things went down with Muhammad and Mecca is where this big cube building is, which inside of it has a, has a, a temple, but on one of the corners of this big cube building, there's this black stone, this divine black stone that's imprinted into it that apparently fell down from heaven or something. So yeah. all these Muslims, the make cube. A, literally, so Whoa. all these, all the Muslims make a pilgrimage there and they're just circling They're what people say are the rings of Saturn and all that kind of stuff. But they circle, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people every day circle around this cube at a chance to like get to the inner of that circle to touch this black stone. Wow. This, this, this building landmark, whatever 
that the mecca is in. I'm I'm looking at it right now, and kind of like with this huge clock tower building that obviously is like a resonant building of sorts. Like it is this huge towering building over, it and it's a kind of like a circular uh, structure around it, and then this black cube in the middle. Wow. Okay. Sorry. Those I never heard of that, and I was like. <laughs> Uh, that is such a trip, yeah. though. There's Black uh, Rock. Yeah, there you go. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Man, so this is where we kind of get like a weird, I guess, Nephilim aspect of the story, maybe. So among all this craziness, um, there's this enigmatic alien being that appears in the kingdom meditating on a rock or sitting on a rock. And it's a, a what they call a white person. So it's a white person with um, blonde hair and blue eyes just sitting there. And the, the people are bewildered. So they try to hunt, they, they stalk it and they hunt it. Eventually they capture this alien being and um, kill it. And they're uh, trying to take it to the kingdom to go investigate what it is. And then um, it starts gurgling back to life. And they look down and they're freaking out. And Tezcatlipoca being among them is like, take it to the river, go throw it in the river. So they go to this the nearby river. And as they're taking it there, this being is like decomposing. It's like losing its teeth and like this strange stench starts coming out of it. And as they throw it in the river, it's it's rotting corpse um, causes pestilence within the river. And it also causes a, an airborne pestilence. And now there's disease everywhere because of this strange alien being uh, so a one read of course is he's, he's freaking out and don't go chasing waterfalls nordic exactly. aliens exactly dude so well, one read and yeah lord of an lord of anu alien it just becomes crazy <laughs> Yeah, it's just like it's chaos, dude. Let me see. Where am I? Where am I? Um, so let's try to make sure I don't skip that one part. Okay, so one reads freaking out. You know, he's freaking out and, and goes into meditation and kind of hides from all the madness. And then this is like the climax of Tezcatlipoca's just craziness right here. So as all this is going down, he he gathers a mob of people, and he says, "Like, you know, we sh- we oh, actually before that, sorry, um, just give me a second here if you don't mind." No worries. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm looking at the, your tapestry behind you, <clears throat> and I've been looking up these things lately called chimney rocks, which are all over the world, and they look like these huge rock mushrooms like there's like a a rock pillar like a skinny rock and then a flat rock on top of it but the rocks on top of them are always different shades so they're darker they look like fucking huge mushrooms and they're obviously or dicks yeah very phallus well (laughs) mushrooms are phallus like that's just that's just true uh that blue sacrament that comes out and gets you uh you know some higher uh information there uh, <laughs> interesting uh anyways eddie uh ready to pick it back up gotcha gotcha <laughs> right. tea. yeah this <laughs> this is like why you don't slip people mushroom tea because if if they don't know they're on mushrooms they're gonna freak the fuck out here's a perfect example 
of people freaking <laughs> the fuck out because they got slipped some fucking mushroom tea and they didn't tied in with black magic also yeah, oh, yeah. don't show people black magic on mushy <laughs> for real fucking crazy all right so, so we're Holy almost shit. kind of at the end um I'm kind of just briefly going over this, all of this information that'll be in the documentary. Yeah. But so at, this is the height of his just craziness and his debauchery. So Tescali Polka, he starts to put all these people again into a shroom trance and, and takes them, tells them all that we should leave. You know, let's leave the kingdom. This place is crazy. It's cursed, you know, deceiving them. And so he takes hundreds of people with him and, and they go to this like nearby, like little like forest area. And he starts passing around more tea and he starts playing this, these drums and slowly starts playing the drums faster, louder, harder, and getting people into this trance-like state. And then he gets and then he leads them, all these hundreds of people, off a cliff. They just, all of them just falling to their death. <laughs> wow. What? And the text also mentioned that, you know, there's a few stragglers trying to get up, you know, all bloodied and broken. And as they're some of them reach the top. They're met with Ted Scott Lipoca and a sledgehammer. And he just knocks them in the face back down. Oh, what? What a dick. Seriously, dude. What a, what a straight. What, a, what is his. Uh, what is his modus operandi? What is his. What's his. What's his deal? Why? Why does he have an ultimate plan that that we know about? Or oh yeah, yeah. We'll get to that. Oh okay. Sorry. Okay. No, no, you're good. Um, Why? 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 (laughs) Um, Yeah, this story is just amazing. Both sides of it, kind of like if you. The interesting thing is, all that no matter what happens, one reads response is always to go and meditate. Yeah. And but at this point. He's like, this is enough, man. I got, I got to do more than meditate. So instead of just him meditating, he decides to get the rest of the people in the kingdom to come together and meditate and pray together. He's like, Let's, we got to pray together now, man. We got to summon Ometiota. We got to summon the creator of all, man, to help us with this craziness. And at this point, Wanri doesn't know that it's Tezcatlipoca doing all of this. He just thinks it's all mm. these strange, random events taking place. And um, as this townspeople are meditating together, this deformed deer comes out of the woods. It's like this strange deformed deer. And it just heads straight towards one reed. And everybody's like kind of silent, just like looking at this thing. And it heads straight towards one reed. And then it just disappears. It vanishes. So everybody starts freaking out. And of course, this is, this is Tescatli Poker's doing, I imagine. And everybody's freaking out. And now they think that that omen means that it's, one reads fault that all of this is happening. So now this is when things take a turn. Now, now the whole kingdom, the priests and everything, everybody's turning their back on one read and saying it's him. He's the, he's the cause of all this curse. So uh, the, his priests, his guys take him away from, from the mob back to the palace and kind of just at this point, though, the priests are now turning their back on him and start conspiracizing against him and they leave him be, but they're now holding secret meetings like, well, it's obviously him. Like, we got to do something about this. And among these secretive congregations, again, we have a guy, Tascatli Poca, there disguised as a priest, shapeshifted as a priest, um, instigating them. Well, we should, we should get him drunk. We should cause him to break his celibacy and his, and his, uh, his fasting. You know, weaken his spirit so we can take him out. And they all regretfully agree. And so Tezcatlipoca 
and one of his servants shapeshift again to uh, to these young uh, priests from faraway land and come to uh, this distraught and, and just frustrated one read, and they offer him food, a feast, while he's in uh, a fasting. So they're slowly trying to break his his morality, and he he keeps. Um, refusing, but but they start telling him like we're from this faraway land, like we've heard about your troubles, like we heard your prayers. We come from, we've been sent by Ometioto. We know you've been praying. Oh like, shit! Yeah, like to kind of trick crazy. him. And at oh, this point, trying to trick him. Yeah, trying to trick oh. him. And at this at this point, he's just he's just distraught. He's broken. He doesn't know what to do. He's been praying, and everything's going to going to hell, you know. And, and uh, a handbasket. Seriously. So he says, you know what? F it. Like. Let me hear you out. You said you got you coming from Ometioto. You've been you got something for me. So he starts eating with them, and they start passing a little wine around, and and then before you know it, he's just blown out and drunk. And then he has a royal sister in the kingdom, and he's like, you know what? Like, go get my sister. Like, like I want to see her. Like, you know, like he's kind of getting excited, like trying to like build the spirits up. So they go get his sister and get both of them drunk, and then um, kind of instigate them and and more the story doesn't say that they had sex but it says that they fell asleep together so they fell asleep and both of them were, were fasting and were celibate so they fall asleep together drunk and then the the wizards leave and in the morning they wake up next to each other just saddened completely broken and the priests find them like and just are outraged like what the heck what is it how we can't live under a king who is breaking his morality, who isn't spiritual, who he, he broke some of the highest laws that he was supposed to keep as, as a monk priest. Uh, and so at that point, just everybody's turned his back on him, including his sister. His sister felt like she took advantage of him. So um, he's forced out of the kingdom. And he has a few followers that go along with him that are loyal to him. So he leaves the kingdom. And as he leaves, he just turns around and just sees this madness, just destruction everywhere. And in the middle of all that is just Tezcatli Polka, just staring at him, laughing. And at this point, he knows, he, he finds out, you know, it was an evil spirit all along. But he leaves nonetheless. And, and then he has his own journey. And I won't go too deep into it. Um, but he has his own spiritual journey. And at this point, he start, he just gets rid of all of his riches. He renounces all of his riches and everything and tells his last remaining followers to renounce their riches. They go on this arduous journey, cr- cruising Mexico, growing their hair out, growing their beards out, just meditating whenever they can, trying to reach the creator. And there's all these little escapades that they, and, and adventures that they have that I, that I get into in the documentary. And during that time, they, uh, they uh, face a snowstorm. So some of his followers die because of that. And then uh, eventually he lands in Cholula. It's a, it's a city in Mexico, ancient city that's still around today, Cholula. And he spends a lot of time with the Cholula text and, and they welcome him and they know of his story. They're like, we've heard of your, your story. I mean, it's every, at this point, all of Mexico has heard the story, the great Toltec king and his battle with Tezcatlipoca. So they welcome him with, with warm arms and um, he starts to preach. At this point in time, he becomes a spiritual leader. And he starts to tell the people what he's learned, you know, being have, having been a king and, and, and all these meditations and all these things that he's gone through. So he becomes this very highly regarded spiritual leader now traveling Mexico, dropping little bits of knowledge wherever he can and, and warning people about the evil spirit that is that is that is overtaking Mexico, that is going to overtake Mexico. And um, to this day, there are little monuments or little markers all throughout Mexico, allegedly uh, that exists. 
um, that were placed there by by one reed. And, and to this day, there are legends and tales about one reed that that uh, people take for true. And um, at the end of his journey, he finally realizes, you know, that it's his time to leave. And he's finally made that ultimate connection with the creator and, and renounces all life from here and actually has his followers build an altar where he sets himself on fire. So he sets himself on fire and, and uh, it, it is said that as his ashes rose up, that his heart rose, levitated and became a jade stone and then levitated, levitated to the heavens and then disappeared. And strangely enough, the story says that after four days, he came back to life as a spiritual being and was seen walking around the forest and found some of his followers and once again preached to them and gave them one last set of instructions and told them to go far and wide throughout Mexico and to remember the Toltec way because the age of Tezcatlipoca, the age of death and human sacrifice has come. Wow. Dude. That's a fascinating story right there. <laughs> yeah. And it, <laughs> it, the, the part when, uh, like when they were traveling around, like growing their hair out and, you know, like getting, getting really deep and going inside. Like that's, I mean, I already thought his journey <laughs> was pretty epic before that. And then he, got, <laughs> you know, has got to go and, and do another hero's journey to like travel, travel spiritually even deeper. And, yeah, it's all, it's it's all about connecting back to the spirit, you know, to to, to yeah. defeat the defeat the 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 shadows. I was gonna say, what are what are these like markers that are around Mexico? Like, do they do they say stuff on them? Like, uh, like when we one read was here, or 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 what do they what do they what do they say on them? Yeah, I I believe there are some um, stuff like they, that. From what I what I in the Diaz's book and this one's a little more dramatic but it's it, it is said that as he left tula the capital of, of the toltec kingdom the first thing he did is he went on a rock and he sat there and he looked at his kingdom and he wept and he wept and he wept and that the tears were so fierce that they actually made left markings on a rock that you can still see to this day mm -hmm. that one's a little more dramatic but but i think there are some actual like geographical or actual like historical things that he left behind and and he left behind disciples too. Everywhere he went, he would leave a disciple and say, "You know, you're you're gonna look over these people," and 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 uh. So, but this guy, this this king Keacato, you know, he he's actually like a legendary figure in Mexico. So if you speak to the natives in Mexico, um, or even some of the modern people in certain areas, they know this story. They know the legend of Keacato, the last Toltec king, and. So I imagine there are some people out there that still hold this story and this person in high respect. Uh, so that that's one reads real name, Keokato. Yeah, if I'm saying that correctly, it's spelled C-E, and then the second part is A-C-A-T-L. Keokato. Okay. So. Yeah. Fascinating, man. Uh yeah, I had another question too, and I lost it. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, in the last episode, uh, when Graham Dunlop was on here, uh, he was talking about like uh, pre-Columbian uh, myths 
and uh, he was talking about some of the burial practices and stuff. And one of the things that they did was they would put um, either jade or pearls or some other type of gem in their mouth uh, before burial. Uh, so I was wondering if you know of any type of spiritual significance to that, because it seems like this whole story is almost based off off of that kind of motif of of him being, you know, being created the Immaculate Conception from her swallowing the jade and then him becoming the jade, uh, the heart becoming the jade and going and disappearing up into the sky. That, that's pretty fascinating. Is there any more context that you can give to that? Yeah, uh, a couple of things. I know, I mean, I know for them, Jade was the most precious stone. And I believe it was uh, the king, the king, what's his name? To call, no, not to call, to cause the place. But but it was the king with the sarcophagus, the ancient alien, like the famous ancient alien sarcophagus. Pele. Not Pele, but uh, uh, starts with a P. Yeah, man. <laughs> Pakal. Pakal. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Lord Pakal. They found him with a jade mask on and in his hands. Uh, and apparently he had six fingers, I mm. believe. So he had six fingers and in both hands, he had in one hand, he had, he had a jade sphere. And in the other hand, he had a jade cube. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Which gives testament to some kind of like, you know, art, grand architect type of idea. Freemason. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like square. Uh, and architecture too is like i mean to to square the or uh, square the circle right or um yeah the square the circle is like one of the things in like masonry architect and that's why you got like domes um it's weird how like don't like obviously they they were you know grand architects of sorts because they have the most pyramids anywhere in the world <laughs> you know and so their their understanding of pyramid energy and and that squaring the circle um, type of like energy that comes from that. Cause when you put domes on top of buildings, right? Like after, uh, after the, the pyramid architect, you know, scene and what have you, that was like the new version of making pyramid energy, how to harness the energy that is within and around pyramids. Because, you know, there's plenty of documents that, have, that go into uh, a Russian study science and other uh, pyramid energy study science. But anyway, squaring the circle, that's super fascinating. So he was holding a jade circle and a jade, uh, jade cube and a jade sphere and uh, what's the jade that's green? And yeah, I'm wondering, like, I'm trying to like tie it to some other t- sort of uh, uh, mythos or something. The yeah. green. Yeah, is there any significance uh, to the to the green or to the jade? I don't know. I mean, I probably in Egypt there is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah probably think- in Egypt. But another thing that I forgot to mention in in the story. Um, it is said that when his uh, heart rose, it became the morning star, which we know is Venus. Uh-huh. And strangely enough, Venus is the most uh, like research uh, celestial object by the Mayans. Like they, they kept obsessive calculations on the star or planet Venus. Something I heard the other day, and I can't I can't even begin to remember where it was, but. Um, 
<clears throat> it was that Venus, I think, is new or newish. Um, it, it's something cosmolo- cosmological, cosmo, something in the cosmos that 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 uh, that has the significance. We we're talking about Venus the other day. Um, I wish I could have more context for you there. There it is again, context, detective. <laughs> okay, here, here's some ones I thought of while we were chatting. Okay, all the words that have text in it. Um, and so textiles, text, ancient text, detective. Uh, so textiles is weaving, text is words, and detective is the search. So you're like searching for the hidden words in the weave. You know, <laughs> I think there's like something deep um, with the true uh, human origin story that's 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 um, that ha- that's lying here. That's that's in this pit somewhere. Technology of, too. Technology, exactly. Yes real like real technology i think that's one of the main reasons why the conquistadorians went over and were just obliterating uh everything you know i think it was as something deeper than more than like because the main story is what oh they had gold and it was sheep herding land like fuck great okay (laughs) you know that's that's not the reason I know Eddie will know this story from from the Sitchin books, right? Uh, they say that, uh, or Sitchin says that uh, that they came over here uh, to find the Fountain of Youth, and it was Ponce de Leon uh, that originally came over here. They that's why they were looking for the Indians. They thought it was in India. They got their directions mixed up and came to America, searching for the Fountain of Youth, and they thought it was somewhere in the uh, Cuba area or america near florida or something like that and so that's what they were searching for was this fountain of youth and uh uh something about uh, well king was it that had all the gold and they took all the gold el from dorado him? was it el dorado or, or maybe no montezuma was- right Oh, you're talking about the actual king. Yeah. No, I thought you meant the legendary uh, tale about El Dorado, which means the golden one. There were, that's that was actually, Jade, Jade Jaguars, right? Or Jade Dragons? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of Jaguar symbology. In, and actually, Tezcatli Poco, the evil wizard that we just spoke about, his symbol is the Jaguar. Ah, wow. There you oh, go. So I was, that's another thing, too. I was looking up. I was trying to find... Puma Punku. More about the word about tech, like tech, tech, tech. What's the tech? Where's the tech at? Where the fuck does it come from? Is it, was it brought by the Spanish? And, you know, like that was their version of doing it. Is it from the original people? I don't know. But, um, something I thought was, like, oh, well, backwards, it's almost cat. It's like tech and then ket, you know? So you have ket on the other end of that. And, and I'm my, like wondering, yeah. and commit, I'm wondering about cat worship because cats are, Big of there, you said the yeah. jaguar, and yeah, so that's. I'm wondering jaguar, if that yeah. has any uh, correlation to, to that. Um, uh, well, I do have a question because it's one of my new questions I like to ask people uh, when they're cool. Is what do you guys think? What's your version of ambrosia? What do you <laughs> think ambrosia? ambrosia? Remind yeah. me of, of what that is again. It's a nectar of the gods. Uh, like in the what Greek, it could have in been? the Greek canon. Yeah, what do you think it could have been? Man, I th- I think it, I mean of course like mushrooms is like an obvious one that it could have been, but I think it's a. Uh, I've heard somebody break this down once. I forgot what it is, but it's it's a certain type of barley that when it's 
uh, like fermented a certain way, it actually cre- creates lysergic acid or LSD. Ergot. Oh. Ergot. There we go. Because yeah. I think over there, there's not a lot of mushrooms. I mean, there might be, but all over there, there's a lot of wheat. Yeah. So I think they may, they found a way to, to to ferment this ergot into this LSD. I think that's yeah, I heard that when, the, when they mentioned bread in the Bible, they're actually referencing ergot or like the, the mold, or they, they talk about the special bread Breaking or they, bread. The, like the, yeah, that yeah. is like, kind of like getting down and, um, uh, ingesting the, uh, the bacteria. Mm-hmm. You don't want to know what I think it is. Oh no. I've said, Let's go. I've said before. Is, is well, it frothy? Uh, yeah. I mean, it can be, I mean, from, <laughs> From the box soccer perspective, the ambrosia, the nectar, nectar of the gods, is uh, the 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 juices from the body. Oh man! The the <laughs> cosmic procreation juices. The man sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, <laughs> that's wow. the nectar. Yeah. That's the, nec- the, the nectar. The tar from the neck, Dan. <sighs> Uh, so, the, uh, t- uh, what, what, the draft so net. with the, with the sacrificing, you know, part, like when a lot of people hear about South America, you know, the first Mexico, kind of, uh, Mexico, you know, this, these Aztecs, right. A lot of the Aztec of mine stories are human sacrifice. And I'm wondering how much of his, is it embellished, um, to kind of paint a facade and how much do you think is like. It was like this story that you told us, um, you know, was that continued on afterwards? And, and what kind of happened to the town? After, uh, you know, like the, the remnants of that, like, was that continued on and it's kind of been yeah. mixed up and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Maybe going to maybe why Mexico is more cursed and like into current day from, from there or something. Yeah. Well, what's strange is like the, the actual Toltec ruins to this day are v- vacant. And um, a lot of the Aztecs, like the Aztecs, when when we found the Aztecs, who were like the last generation of all of this, they said that these these ancient ruins were which were abandoned were were not to be touched. You know, they were they were a place of the gods and this and that. And so uh, the Toltecs were scattered after that and hunted down for some time and killed. And it, basically, we entered into the age of, of Tezcatlipoca, into the age of human sacrifice and to the gods. And uh, so the spiritual ways were kind of lost and forgotten. Um, but uh, as far as modern Mexico, I mean, dude, it's like after I read this story, it just was like I just felt like I was just hearing modern Mexico. I mean, that place is, it's a beautiful place with, with spirituality deep in its roots. But as today, there's just drug, uh, you know, just wild drug usage out there, you know, nasty warfare going on between gangs and and cartels and just a whole lot of prostitution, a whole lot of poverty. And, and, you know, there's certain areas where it's just, I mean, these are, this is my, my heritage, you know what I mean? So I have a certain emotional connection to it. And I just, I feel yeah, like man. it's, yeah, I mean, I just feel like it, it just sucks, man. It just sucks to, to know that we're such a, a beautiful spiritual place that's just so rot with, with disgusting and ugly curses that I honestly believe started with Tezcatlipoca and, and what he did to the Toltec nation. 
Yeah. So you think like Texcali Polka is still like that spirit is still in Mexico, just fucking ruining shit. Yeah, man, because uh, there's a lot of sorcery out there. Our people, they believe in what is known as brujeria. Yeah, right? brujeria. Yeah, witchcraft. So, I mean, Tezcalipoca, he's literally known as as the sorcerer. That's what he was known as. He brought sorcery to Mexico. I mean, if we were to read it for, for face value, prior to Tezcalipoca, there was no sorcery in Mexico. There was no licentiousness. There was no human sacrificing. And to this day, what did the cartels do? They sacrifice people. They kill each other. They kill people. They cut heads off. They do all this wild shit. And, and they not only that, but they pray to la santa muerte they pray to the image of the death god so it's like mm-hmm. in my mind it's like there's it's all obviously came from this this strange sorcerer god Tezcatlipoca. i i know this might be a weird tangent but in in lucha libre wrestling dude there's a lot of uh like death type figures in the the masked lucha libre wrestlers do you think there's any connection uh to to like the Santa Muerte and and the Luchador, possibly. I will say that you know, as as a people of artistic culture, the school you know is all, we also see it as you know beautiful. Yeah, you know, yeah. so it's it's also just also used in that way too. You know, with like you know the Day of the Dead and stuff like that. We just use it also in in that kind of respect. But yeah, man, in the same way, like in in you know, I'm. With like Illuminati and the that kind of stuff, and like the reptilian iconography that we see, like in the Western occultism, in the in Mexico, I think, and that kind of stuff. The symbology is like the the death stuff, the death cult, the, the skull, the Tezcatlipoca, and that kind of stuff. Do you think we should start taking our energy out of that muerte? type of stuff like the day of the dead stuff with the skulls and stuff like maybe are uh buying that stuff or or like uh accepting it or or uh celebrating it is is giving our energy more into that i mean honestly yeah you know i mean i i love art you know like yeah, i love art because I, I love the day of the dead stuff i, I you know I almost got a tattoo of a like a a muerte girl, you know, with a skeleton yeah. face and half like half half face and stuff. So uh, after this story, I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's all in the intent, man. You know, I think it's all in the intent. Like that, it really, you know, comes down to that. I mean, I have no problem with having like a, a, a cool painting of a school or something like that or whatever. But it's it's all in the, in the intent. If you let things get to your mind right if you let these images get to your mind and it says more about your mind than the images really you know you gotta but, uh, have a strong mind and you gotta have a strong intention it's all and, and i think earth or you know it, you know there's there's parts of our journey that that is a lot of healing that needs to happen so kind of just touching on what you said there yeah if it's your mind interpreting it in a way it's like you got to be like one read you know and, and go with that 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 meditative moment you know to kind of like uh deal with the the heavy energy of of whatever's going on because you know yeah i think we're just uh we're out here healing ourselves and trying to heal each other and and also you know maybe we're reinstating ourselves back here to keep penetrating these lessons on forth and yeah did did, uh 
did one read ever come back from his uh spiritual hero's journey and or anything like that is there any more stories that are him after that no i mean after he uh burned himself i mean he he came back after four days so similar to jesus he burned yeah. himself and then four days later he he appeared you know as phoenix a, yeah some mother in phoenix dog he came, he came back as an apparition and then gave one last set of lessons and then it is said that he left on a raft of on the ocean and so he dipped out on the ocean on a raft and then that raft hovered and then like took off to the skies oh shit wow wow <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, up. In, in the story, what was the significance of them uh like bagging and tagging that alien? Dude, I don't know. That one was a trip. <laughs> I mean, it brought pestilence. You know, oh, okay. It, so it, it, brought, it brought yeah. Yeah, it, when they threw it in the river, it brought pestilence. But yeah, there's just a lot of symbology and things going on with, with the story. Is that like this? Is that like symbology of the white man bringing uh, disease to man, to the new it world? It, it could be possibly it's similar to like the Indian story, right? Or the Native American story of of white man coming over and bringing these new. Yeah, the whatever, wizard was probably white, right? <laughs> He's probably yeah. a probably a white guy. It's probably a great alien, bro. It's probably a great alien. Just crash landed. He's like, oh fuck, this is the wrong place to land. Hey man, this uh you should check out um uh Sarah Bressman Cosme's book, uh Hypnotist Journey to Atlantis, because she's a hypnotist, uh hypnotist, sorry. I always say hypnotist, it drives Dan crazy. I know it yeah. does. And uh <laughs> And she's a hypnotist and a uh, past life regression <laughs> worker. And she's been in the field for a long time, but she wrote a book um, called the hypnotist journey to Atlantis. And anyways, what you were saying, if maybe it was gray aliens, like that's literally the story that her clients are telling her while they are in a, um, a state, you know, they're in, they're in their office and they're in the regression state. And, uh, and yeah, that basically there was, crash landed ships like multiple of them from different planets all coming to earth to basically you know there was like the big mission the great work that was happening and earth is like the central hub of beautiful alchemical you know processes and everything's perfect here and um and and yeah so it's like maybe maybe that black magic does come from that ulterior source that uh you know that that anki and lil split you know one of them's like trying to do the benefit and the other one's out here trying to cause uh mayhem or what have you i mean just for the plain fuck of it you know like yeah. what yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah man hey but uh i'm gonna have to get going all right man so if you guys have any any other questions or anything you wanted to say you know uh no uh, man, how was uh how's been the project gateway dealing with? I remember last time we were uh you just released a video on that and uh you, you yeah know, you were vibing on that pretty hard. Uh, any more uh, takeaways from from that? Yeah, I just want to say you you emailed me and I, I did email you back. I don't know if you if you got that. You, you emailed me like Shit. a while while back, <laughs> but I just wanted to make. I know sure we were gonna do we were gonna do a show on the on the project gateway, right? Yeah, I just wanted to make sure you got my email. That's all. It's no no rush on it but but um yeah man i mean that stuff i was just talking to my friends about it the other day dude i mean i still 
it's still creeping in my mind. I was existentially tripping on it for like weeks after I had read the document. And, uh, but I'm, I'm now coming off of that existential trip. And, but I'll say I, the effects that it had on me haven't gone away. Like I still view reality now through the lens of that document. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's deep, dude. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, man. I mean, uh, there's something to it too. Like, the, um, some of the homies on the podcast realm were doing like this big Parsons, Jack Parsons breakdown, right? Yeah, so cool. like we, we were all studying Jack Parsons and Crowley and all this shit. And I was going deep on it, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I fucking was reading all these Crowley works. And then, uh, one night I just had this crazy dream that Crowley was just there. He was attached to this guy's throat and I had to like fucking fight him and could beat his ass multiple times. It's pretty great, but also kind of disturbing. And I was just like, man, you know, this is that, that, that multiple dimensional, you know, ascension level, like that project gateway shit, you know? And yeah. I don't know. Egregorically, we're just like recreating all of the, all of the, like in the past people and oh god i'm ranting now uh it's been a pleasure eddie uh that was a great story i'm hoping to uh yeah, to chop up some of it put a little music behind it you know it's a little thing i like to do now yeah, you yeah. know what i'm saying so yeah. it's sick i uh I'm, I'm really glad this happened man thank you so much it's you, yeah homies. thank you man it's a good one dude i i love hearing good stories like that there's a lot of other stuff to pull out from that too because just the historical nature of the story you can start to see like uh, kind of what the civilization was about and what they were doing, you know? And so it's a, it's a fascinating kind of look in, into that. So appreciate your yeah. time, man. Thank you so much. And uh, everybody uh, fire tribe out there, go check out esoteric Eddie TV on YouTube and uh, watch for that video dropping. And uh, while you're there, check out, uh, the other videos that Eddie has put up and, uh, and check out the Lucifer mystery revealed. If you haven't got that book yet, get that in your collection. Um, and what else you got going on, Eddie, anything, man? Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of things I'm dropping that documentary this month. And then just every month, man, my goal is to drop a documentary at least one to two every month. Excellent. So always got some things, nice. always got some things cooking and bubbling. I just what? dropped esotericeddy.com where I'm, I just dropped some merch. You can get some t-shirts, some hats, and oh, start sweet. repping the movement. Yeah. What, uh, nice, do you dude. have, uh, do you have any idea of what you're going to be doing maybe for your next month? So in May, in May, uh, only thing I have right now planned for May is, um, I'm dropping, I'm going to tell my astral projection experience. Ooh, excellent. Yeah. yeah. Things a little different. I'm going to give a little personal story on, on my, my experiences with astral projection and, um, the animal tablets of Toth and how that, uh, influenced my early life. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, and Damn, that's a great month. Man. Yeah. And if anybody hasn't heard, uh, esoteric Eddie on upstate unconventional, I recommend to go check out that podcast with Esoteric Eddie uh, because he gets even uh, he goes in a totally different direction than than what you've heard so far and about his uh, past or you know his like I don't know what to say, paranormal experiences I'll yeah. I'll leave it at that yeah usually yeah. I'm <laughs> on here talking about history and esotericism but that one yeah Nico did a good job we. we I just got personal and just told my actual paranormal experiences, which 
I have quite a few, you know, I don't like to get into them too much because it's just wild, but, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's good. So go check that out over there. Uh, it's pretty fascinating stuff. Um, yeah, it gets into that whole paranormal side of everything, which is fantastic to hear about, but scary as hell to deal with, uh, <laughs> you know? Uh, so anything, uh, final thoughts, Roman? Shit, man. This has been, this has been a pleasure and, uh, yeah, look forward to all the videos. He did just drop, uh, uh, Lucifer, Lucifer mystery revealed as his newest video. It's a full documentary on the book too. So that's tight. Um, but yeah, man, it's all good, bro. Fucking stoked. This is, <clears throat> this is fantastic. Um, yeah, let's, let's do it, boys. Thanks, Fire Child, for listening. Wake up. What's up, Fire Tribe? Welcome to the post show. Post show. This and is Danny Naki Dan. That is. This is Zuchi Boy. That's Zuchi Boy. What a fabulous fucking story, dude. I mean, was there anything that wasn't in that story? <laughs> dude, we had the black cube. We had alchemy. <laughs> we had. Um, Magic. You know, magic. Uh, we had the, the the literal origins remnants from the flood. I think the Olmecs. That's super kind of super cool. Like t- touching on the Olmecs. I'm gonna have to look more into that because yeah. uh, it, it's like sounds like they found the land after the flood and basically started civilization. Um, from everything that they could from all of the knowledge from Quetzalcoatl or Thoth, you know, yeah. <laughs> like it's crazy, man. Yeah. It's amazing how much information you can pull out of one story too. And especially with that last episode with Graham and, and talking about these different burial practices and, and even like, what did they do to the guy? They threw him into the river, right? Like, <laughs> It's almost like they should have known not to do that just because of the other stuff that we heard uh, from Graham talk about how they're throwing gold into the river and into the lakes to fertilize it. If you throw death into the river, what the fuck you think is going to happen, especially with with that river like connecting to what you drink out of and shit you know what i mean i mean dude you, you, there's no doubt brother that like you know our society is so uh skelterly different from these ancient societies rivers were a place that civilizations were built off of you know yeah. rivers are i mean they you know they still are but the we source don't, of life we don't yeah exactly we it don't like a vein rivers it's a vein. anymore it's a vein exactly yeah, yeah and so you, you definitely think that they they knew the repercussions when it came to that no doubt i think you're right yeah. Yeah, so I think like maybe it was just about a white man. They saw a white man, they beat the shit out of him, they threw him in the river, and oh, pestilence. This, this yeah. kind of seems like the white man came and fucked everything up for us. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> no doubt, dude. It, it, I mean, it's the same it, story so, with the Native American. So, I mean, dig, and that, I mean, I'm a white man, so I, 
it sucks like i don't want that to be our lineage you know but we can't change the past man yeah you know uh but i kind of have like this theory i brought it up a little bit on telegram before by the way what up shout out to the telegram people yeah you guys are tight we love you guys so much you guys make make our uh dreams very moist at least mine i can't speak for dan's dreams but are your dance moist are your dance (laughs) my dance moist my dance are moist are your dance uh, your crumpets nice and uh flaky too and, when you uh, a little raspberry jam and with the telegram fascinating i love all the energy in there and uh, people are talking a lot more now and posting all kinds of stuff it's fantastic but also check out the patreon three dollars a month you get a lot of good shit you're guaranteed at least four five shows a month uh me and roman just did a a joint patreon exclusive with joshua the branch um what was that about again thresholds uh, portals, I mean, that, that was about demons. a lot of things too yeah yeah like, joshua's great joshua's a weaving spiders person i'm gonna have on every spider yeah every spider i yeah, have a plan yeah. to get on every spider and then you know ch- pull a little bit from each of them and yeah then like send it to them all or you know as like a little like cool like spider gift or something and yeah the patreon's awesome y'all like i fucking we're we're, we're doing it you know we, we're podcasting like a motherfucker we're keeping this show themed so we can give you guys as much of the you know the information down a specific theme that we think is interesting and yeah. Uh, and likely we're going to go over some of these other themes again. We'll definitely come back to ancient Americas and Atlantis, right. Lemuria, so on and so forth. But uh, but on the Patreon is where we get to put the things that aren't in the themes, and you know that might be more conspiratorial, or they might be more religious. It's and and so you know if you guys vibe with the show, that's three bucks for more content, baby. You know we pay for, baby. You already know you're gonna get what you get, baby. You know it's gonna be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, yeah. Um, I'm talking to all the guys in uh, the Horns Up uh, group show that we do with uh, Andy and Shane and Jay and Jeff, and I'm going to have all of them on uh, Devil's Advocate individually. I just did a show with Shane last night, and we got into uh, dreams and stuff. He wanted to talk about psychedelics, no. but this uh, this uh, prude over here, me, moi, I've never done psychedelics. Um, I've, well, I have taken <laughs> mushrooms like three different times, but I was a teenager and uh, I never really took a whole bunch of them. I just took a little bit and they never really did anything to me. So I don't really count it as taking mushrooms because I didn't have like a psychedelic experience from it. Um, so we'll see. Maybe I'll try some mushrooms. Uh, I don't know. It has to be the right place, the right time. And, you know. Who knows i'm old so you know all it's great things man constituents of plants contain so many things that do a lot of alterations to our body and yeah. all you have to do to have us an experience you don't it, you know i know i just don't want to take it and potent. see jesus and then be a christian i just fuck everything up for me we'll see <laughs> see the things that you're saying right now i'm just gonna let you know when you're saying you don't want to do this and see this and yeah, see that there's, there's an initial fear down there being something <laughs> that you do or do not want to see 
and that's okay and that's completely normal because like why wouldn't we be scared of our demons coming up to face us you know are you yeah. telling me i have to face this when i take this thing i know i'm going to see some part of me that i you know it's 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 a huge thing and um but you know they help with healing but they're not the only thing that heals they are a they're kind of like a quick aid to dealing with some shit you know there's a lot of you know great fun times you can have with like a light you know dose and you know you can go find and party and, and all these things or you can yeah. take it for literal therapy and bring to the surface you know issues that you have mm. problems you need to deal with things that your soul journey has experienced you know and you know a lot of times they'll, they'll do it for past life healing too you know and but what i was getting out with the plant constituents is like what i'm saying and what i mean is like there's all these things that make up the body of the earth that make up our body right mm -hmm. and our our consciousness it makes up the earth's consciousness so all of these things are protruding from the ground into the earth's atmosphere the consciousness of the earth is eating all of the plants right they're symbiotic right so it's like something existing in our bodies because our body yeah. creates it you know it's necessary and so point blank point blank kind of what i'm getting at is like you know just drinking bunches of teas and you know doing as many plant constituents you know as long as they're not completely harmful and toxic uh to to just broaden your body's experience to the earth i think will get you kind of like similar shit without having like a crazy trip did that make or, sense or you can in the long version yeah or you can just uh trick people and have everybody fucking start killing each other and wearing people's faces so i mean there's that side of it too <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's all about intention man because like you'll have a bad trip when you're around bad energy and you'll have a really great trip when you're around nature or not even just nature sometimes nature can give you shit but that's your consciousness kind of speaking that out psychedelics is a whole thing it's you know it's, yeah i kind of wonder it's a in uh in that story that eddie was telling us if 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 uh texaco calipoca was like the bad energy of one read you know that's why he went to meditating he kept meditating trying to get rid of this negative energy that was surrounding him almost of as it was like his his ego self like perpetrating all these things even though it was actually him you know i wonder if that's kind of yeah man no you know that's a that's a classic story i wonder if uh if thoth is kind of in that same same gene too you know we were talking about hermes and thoth and uh you know he created the tarot cards like you said right yeah um and you know there's 52 weeks there's there you know when you consider a, a tarot card it has the upright it has the and and the upside down that's what a day has right so we talk about calendar it's emanating off the calendar you have the light part of the day you have the night part of the day you know you have the the you have hermes thoth you know the the that the done then you have you know the flip side of that you know you got one reed who is like this beautiful you know spiritual side then the dark side and yeah that's interesting dude i mean it kind of paints into all of these you know these types of heroes journeys you know like the the, the enemy is 
is just the hero's dark side, you yeah. know, and it's all in your head. Um, but also very real too, which is because it being in your head and also being in the physical plane is like it's their hand in hand. Uh, yeah, pretty fascinating. And I think that's where like kind of the multiverse kind of comes into play, right? When you think about like what a multiverse is, is like you have what's happening here and now, right? My mm-hmm. quotes are up, everybody. Right? <laughs> My quotes are up. You have this room, you have the surrounding, and then you have the alternate timeline of your head and your consciousness because you can close your eyes and go somewhere else completely leave you know um and so it's like we have a multiverse right here and now and then in your mind you can sectionize that up as ever however much you want anyways Uh, please say what you're going to say because uh i'm uh, rambling now i'm going to go grab a book i wanted to read from a book i know we're not doing like those type of intros but uh i got a couple books at the used bookstore the other day and some of them were about native american legends and stuff and i have this one and i read part of it and uh it's fascinating it's a really long poem epic poem and so let me uh go grab that real quick and come back all right so i got the book uh this book is called the blue god an epic of mesa verde by lewis mertens Uh, says the author has written an epic poem based on the legends of the Zuni Indians who inhabited parts of Colorado seven centuries ago. The subject matter first impressed Lewis Mertens more than 40 years ago when as a lecturer, his travels first took him to uh, the Indian ruins at Aztec, New Mexico and Mesa Verde, Colorado. Questions came to him there that only his imagination and a lifelong study of world civilizations might help to answer who were the people who had lived there what was their culture from where had they come and what caused them to leave in the poem he has reconstructed the civilization that once took place in those ancient villages about the streets of mesa verde there comes a sound of moving life little children once more play their games women bake their bread grind corn weave carpets love comes to a man and a maid brightly glow the council fires the ambitions and hopes of a people who worship the blue god come alive through the medium of the poet's words author lewis mertens has been writing and publishing books and poetry since 1919 poet Robert Frost was the subject of two of his published works, the most recent in 1965, Life and Talks Walking. And so uh, I was just reading through the beginning of this book and uh, some of it was pretty interesting. Uh, the I kind of want to read the prologue, but it's a little bit long. Um, so what I'm going to read is like the first uh, little bit here because I think it comes to an interesting conclusion. Uh, this one is called A Man and a Maid. A storm beset and solitary pine lifted a bare white foretop on the sky. It was that quiet hour before the dawn. The moon, a broken star, held Wait, the east. Wait, did you say pi- Can you start over? <laughs> I said a man... You're going and- really fast. I know. It's, there's a lot to read. 
But it's it's hard to hard to ingest when you're reading so fast. Okay. Uh, well, usually everybody says how slow I am, so I'm trying to. Uh, Who says that? Move it along. All right. I talk slow. I'm a slow. Who talker. said that? I will fuck them up. Okay. Uh, I love it. A man and a maid, a storm beset and solitary pine, lifted a bare white foretop on the sky. It was that quiet hour before the dawn. The moon, a broken star, paled in the east. There was a smell of morning. All was still. The stars shone out with one last eager look upon the passing night. Trees sighed to life. A huge brown bear, bestirring from its sleep, moved slowly, quiet as if he sensed a foe. The sky was summer blue. The spring flowers slept. A little breeze came sweeping through the pines. A bird gave note. The coyote slunk away. A rabbit nibbled in the green grass. Then a snarling bobcat sent it bounding home. A sudden flush of rose came to the east. Such flush as stains the cheek of your youth when love has spoken first of love. Then other sounds came floating through the mountains, sounds of men and women speaking in the ambient air, and little children just awakened from sleep. Not sweeping sounds, but soft and musical. Between two mighty spruce trees, which had stood since ever time was time, each passing dawn, the poet noted that the sun of late had pierced and that upon the blue god's door his beams had fallen first. Song changed the air. A fainter glow came to the rising dome. Long fingers rose, and amethyst and beryl were thrust across the sky. Then, like the boom of mountain thunder through the towering trees, the sun shot forth the arrows of the day. And there the dreamer sat, too old for war or for the chase, a gray and withered leaf, the ghost of different springs. His ignorant and eager eyes looked backward into his soul. An ancient brave held in a mood of dreams, he saw the span of human life that day. From cradle board to winding sheet of death, he saw with vagueness as things seen in fog, the truceless warfare waging over all between mere men of earth and those above until creation held in ashy thongs saw lurking shadows fall then came the dream the spring under the cliff the winding line upon the narrow crooked uphill path where women bore the water youth at play laughing in mirth with laughter not the gods even might silence let it be by day the old man cried never beneath a moon whose light is but the who knees misty path with wild winds booming through the leafless tree after a red sun dips into a field of frost and those soft whispers in the dark then in a vision replica of life the old man saw the woman on the ledge and where the glory of the yellow day lay on the morning roof two virgins toiled 
forming from clay the vessels of a dream, a woman at her loom beside the wall, made weft of life in threads of a bright rug. Another wove a cloth. She was with child, and this would hold her baby on her back. Another without loom, bright yucca thread, wove to a pair of sandals. Bright the lines of white and black she weaved into her work. Where are the men and boys, the dreamer cried. My soul is sick with women. Bring them back, heavy with game of deer and bear and quail, or the wild honey and perchance the bee. This come from the far south to place her cells in the deep cavern or some hollow tree. Come lay the hot flat stones. The corn is meal and bread is bread. That sound must never cease, the constant grinding of the winter grain. Within the four walls of each 2A house, 2A is T-U-A-I, 2A. The old man saw a cleanliness. On pegs were hung such garments not in use, and there were found the blankets which their finger weft had fashioned. Thick reed mats had strewn the floor, while pillowings of down invited sleep. Huge water jars stood valiant watch on life, lest one should journey to the darkened land with death and night as fellow travelers, lacking a broken pitcher for his soul. Oh, blessed be those above who sent the spring with Shakwahi she's word, and blessed he be who keeps it pure. They had a common field with common tools to till a common land, and into those deep granaries which lay behind their house under the wild, wide cliffs with lessons learned from wisest of wild beasts, they stored the winter grain and underground was set apart a kiva for each clan, and over all the elders stood a chief, himself an elder, for this truth was held, old men for counsel and young men for war. Three brothers, sisters, cousins, uncles, aunts, all lived together in one family for all time. So said the traveler, this custom had held fast. The traveler had crossed the mountains toward the sleeping sun, had seen vast ships like geese upon a stream and talked with those who sailed upon the deep beyond the ocean's rim and down and down until they found another dark skinned race from which the ho ho cam had sprung this race had legends like the stories of which they knew about a roaring oven fire and joy the happy children gathered if perhaps some morsel of the cooking food might fall one mother bore her baby on her back its listless head hung weakly to one side and like a wounded animal it moaned her great brown eyes painfully would gaze upon her baby filled with anxious thought 
before it was ill and that had made all joy to vanish into nothingness. Her friends required that she would take the ailing child and keep it in the quiet of her house. The mother went, the medicine men came, and bumping powder blew in the face of the sick babe. It slept. The mother watched, half fearing that it never might awake. And the old dreamer in the broken twig saw a great fur crash down high in its prime and heard a silence all like death. And then another ceremony of the dawn was celebrated at the cliff house door. A baby was born these nine days gone had been made ready for the rising of the sun. The father wished or the father watched to give the sun signal when first that orb would strike the higher peaks. Inside the house, the mother held it still while the godmother wrapped it around and round with wool and blanket. Then with one great ear of yellow corn, she laced it to the board that was to bind it on its mother's back. Shall women plant upon a ledge of stone? The dreamer cried, lifted a withered claw. No more shall love grow from a heart of flint. And as the shadow of the nesting bird falls on her young, so falls the shade of her who would protect her child. Then the call, the sun appears, it strikes the mountain heights. The two found women hastened with their babe, the one on the father's sister, one his wife, and standing thus upon the left and right, they named the name of childhood. Sacred meal, meanwhile, they scattered toward the rising sun, and each in turn breathed lightly on its mouth. In every land and every age, and climbed such baby lives, the sun shone in its eyes and made it whimper for the darkened room, which until then it knew might it have known the years are many filled with sorrowing and happy hours, but only for the breast and comfort of a mother's kindly smile did this new named and lively baby care. Yet tenderness must not forever rule, soon taking lessons from the great black wolves, a cruelty of blows and befutings. Must be the lot of him who would be man and bear those burdens which became a man. And now the dreamer, with a wisdom born of many winters, since approaching men. They come from far, now must they lay aside their naturalness to be what women ask from the unmanly bowels of red and white with strange designs of beauty seen of man and thunder fire cleaving a blustering sky or crystals of the wind-blown wild goose down the woman will make every warrior eat to shock she who will come to lend his dignity of chieftainship. You'll give a pitcher shape of wild duck 
Into it, you'll squeeze the juice of autumn's purple grape mingled with honey. Those above might ask, no better to drink. And so the old man saw and mumbled softly. As the day sped on, the busy women grinding their corn sang songs, and those who sewed and those who wove and spun all laughed and sang until the day was done and twilight fell and one by one the stars came to the sky then sounds of night like songs of memory from out the storied past swept through the streets the coyote on the cliffs gave forth his shrill staccato strident yelp he watched the red moon rise upon the trees and saw there walking up and down the street two lovers happy in their foolish hope the maiden ami tu la beautiful and fair as was the rainbow of her name her eyes deep as a mountain lake were soft as skies of spring and clear as columbine her teeth white stars from out the azure night her smile a ripple on the river's face her laugh as buoyant as the meadow lark that lifts a yellow neck above the grass. Her voice as gentle as the cooing dove that calls unto her mate in early spring. And with it all, the mating time had come. Her hair adorned above her shapely ears in great black whorls denoted that her heart was still her own and she was still a maid, a perfect blossom mid a thousand mates where breath of scandal never touched the soul or lustful thought brought blight and stain to perfect peddling thus pure she was and by her side his supple form of erect walked e lupuva poet of the race than whom in all the land of ho ho calm there lived more better known none better loved and filled with love's elan his heart cried out song of love your eyes are as the eyes of a pigeon little one sweet amitula as the soft eyes of a pigeon flying and clear as the skies of summer. I come to you in the twilight, treading softly with black skin moccasins, tipped with yucca fiber and laced with red doe skin. My heart cries out for you, little one, sweet Amitula. When night descends, then the star of evening glows. Under the moon, I come singing singing of my love that will not die steadfast it is as the mountains set on their foundations of stone by those above tender as the heart of a mother and gentle as the thought of a child little one sweet amitula let my lips touch your lips and let my trembling hand lie between your breasts then will my soul cleave to your soul and my heart be one with your heart till the mountains break asunder 
and the stars of heaven fall from their places. Again, the dreamer speaking to his soul in winter when beneath a blanket of snow the seed hears still the blasts of boisterous storm yet knows through all that tempests go before a west wind pregnant with belated frost and since in spring love blooms with the first flower shall not this man and maiden turn to hope and to love's final spring beyond all springs now the warm sun tells secret to the snow and runs with it between the tossing trees leaving a trail of violets behind and there beneath the moon two lovers walked with one bright blanket thrown around them thus the wonderfully sweet and ancient thought was hidden in a custom old as time. The eyes of all the village saw them walked in shakwi hashi, not as yet accursed, with high ambitions, irresistible and ruthless greed, but kind and manly strength. And his calm wife, Atuwa, gazed with pride and gave assent to youth and youthful love soft as a brown moss catching the first snow and clinging to the last deep in the night into her ear the lover whispered words as snow falls on the face of the ship rock so softly falls my love upon your heart as rain comes gently to the winter fields so come my kisses to your trembling lips and as the barren desert seeking life lifts up a thirsty mouth to meet the clouds so have my lips met yours so has my thirst been quenched by kisses from your eager lips for when i gaze into your eyes i see the fawn you once were startled at the sound of some unwanted danger in the dark still spoke the dreamer of the ho-ho calm, a man who seeks a shadow in the night, cast by a thin moon under the pale stars, is he who seeks for love that never fades. We have asked wisdom of the skies, and they have failed us in an hour of the rest grief, and the mountains, and we came away as empty as granary in spring. Sweeter than nectar are the lips of love, and fairer is love's face than the wild rose that blooms beside a stream, pure in love's heart, a dew distilled by those above at dawn upon the lilies growing by the lake. True love has many windows open wide, yet only one through which the heart may pass, and by that one vain jealousy on guard has planted spears let every brave beware so sang the poet under a low moon but one looked not upon that scene in love save that his love was cruel as the grave an oft-rejected suitor watched with eyes that glinted hate and teeth that bit his lips 
Just as he longed to thrust his thin, long knife into the heart of him who walked below, he seen a silhouette, one with forms of jagged, vicious wolves outlined above. Twas ho, twas ha o yoki, born when summer rain was falling. Such a string event could not but give the name to babe so born, so that they called him Ha-O-Yoki, Behold Rain. His mother was an ancient crone who strayed into the cliffs from some far distant place. Her name was Ha, her name was Hu-Ni-Han-Ga, and some said she was a witch, but tongues of slander have in other days been the purest souls. She mumbled low about her daily tasks and spoke a stranger's language, which to some was proof enough that she was the witch indeed. Baha O Yoki loved with deathless love, the daughter of the blue god. Yet his love was futile. She had eyes for none except the poet Ilupuva. He could sing. His eyes were deep and dark as the far spring beneath the cliffs. And I'm gonna uh, keep going. So Ha Oyoki frowned, but still the lovers walked under the moon and whispered tales of hope eternal, just as ever lovers did since love was born. Nor not alone were these fond lovers there, another pair who yesterday had walked under the blanket up the self-same street were calling to each other from afar. T was Ki La Zizi and his fair blue star, the daughter of Yal Lan Ni. Soon would she bring all her store into this mother's house and grind her corn upon his mother's mill, making with her her own hands to ash-cooked bread his voice came sweeping up the canyon depths, and Ilu Puva paused and turned about. He is Kila Zizi, singer of sweet words, but listen to his love song in the night. If only I might sing so sweet a note. No, Ilu Puva, Amitula cried. Your songs are sweeter far than any song that he may sing to maiden of his choice. I love you when your lips thus speak two ways, but never shall my lips give forth such sounds as you hear now. And from the space below came ringing such a harmony of notes that listening coyote ceased his lonesome yelp, and nightbirds grew silent in envy for the sweet for the sweetest singer of the hoo-hoo calm, saying that which made all lingering doubts of love to pass like mist, or snow blankets in spring to fall from burdened shoulders of the peaks. Song to the blue star. Shadows of twilight gather over your home, blue star, swift on the wings of swallows. I come from fields afar, wake when I call that evening under the blue spruce tree, 
Wake with a kiss at greeting, sweet blue star, Wani. Swift as a wild hawk flying, fast as a wild geese come. Unto your side I'm hastening, now to your sheltered home. Swift do I fly as an eagle over the mountain bar, fast as a flint-tipped arrow. Unto your side, blue star. That's it, man. That uh, was nice. I like, uh, I like how it ended with love, man. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to read it. Uh, I thought that the story was interesting. It kind of gives you a little piece into like the culture in a very poetic way. I, I like the idea that he's using a poem to like tell the story of, of what you know the of what the author saw when he was there witnessing these things uh i think it brings like a real like visual aspect to the life and times of these people even love was in the air you know what i mean and so yeah we we did this show with about death and uh thought it'd be good to end it with love yeah man i mean when i look at these old uh aztec or mayan ruins you know they call them ruins right which is like right yeah also kind of weird right but uh but i i mean i feel like looking at some of them the way they're laid out with the water running through and these temples on the side like, like why wouldn't there be love man you know it's not all this blood sacrifice and you know the rivers running with blood and such like for sure that may have happened but but I, I, I feel like they were they were really connected, man. So, you know, our our minds have been, you know, fucking societally engineered to kind of just like think of like blood sacrifice in one specific way. And then it's just that makes yeah. all of society gnarly. But, you know, hey, blood sacrifice is going on today, but we still have the beauty in life. Right. Like, right. It's um, around, man. I was talking to Andy the other day because uh, I was listening to a show he did with uh, with uh, Zed and Brennan Thomas, and uh, I forget necessarily what they're talking about. I think they brought up Star Forts or whatnot, but um, I had like an epiphany when I was hearing it, and I was like, "Oh, I think I get it, dude. I think I know what Star Forts are." lay it on me bud i'm about to lay it on you i heard this story of about atlantis when we you know i don't remember where i picked up this from uh either through a show i was listening to or through videos i was watching to find out more about it but they're talking about how like the reason why atlantis had three like moats was uh so that like the water would come in from the sea and the outside one and then it would kind of get washed through and then by the time it reached the center it wouldn't have any salt in it anymore it'd be fresh water and they could drink it so they filtered it yeah it's almost like a filtration process of like desalinization right and so then I was thinking, like, maybe these star forts, because they're often connected to bodies of water and they have these geometric shapes to them, maybe there's some type of frequency wow. that is taking the salt out of them 
mm-hmm. because the other thing that people are finding or saying is that there's high mineral contents where these star forts are. So oh, I, interesting. I'm not an expert. I don't know a lot about how things work necessarily, but my idea <laughs> or my thought was that if the star forts are purifying the water and taking the salt minerals out, then the salt minerals are going into the ground in this area, and then it's creating crystallization mm-hmm. from the salt crystals. And that's mm. why there's so much crystals in these areas. You know, Just that's really that interesting, I too. I like it. I like it. It reminds me of... Because uh, Starforts kind of remind me of um, crop circles in general, right? Like the kind of crop circles that... Yeah. that we've talked about on the show where it's not you know and it's not even thought of an alien it's not thought of people it's not thought of any being doing it. it's actually some sort of resonance from the ground vibrating and it creates the shape because it's the natural shape of that sound and then whatever crops that were there actually had they were seeded out so they would like her hermaphrodite out which happens like we had our whole greenhouse last year turn into seed plants you know just from light stress you can do it from manipulating the light that it gets Mm -hmm. right you don't have to infect any pollen or anything which is crazy plants all her her, like hermaphrodite themselves anywho um these these seeds that are found at these crop circles are called super seeds because they apparently are more potent. They produce more fruit. They produce more, like, more bigger fruit. It's tastier. It's sweeter. Mm-hmm. And you guys can, you know, look this up. But it's kind of like what you're saying. It's like these shapes. If we built star forts built off of resonance, understanding that the Earth has resonance spots, maybe because they saw crop circles at an early time when they were doing crops. Because if we, you know, come from an agricultural based, you know, society, which we do, that's what they consider society is when we started a fucking agriculture, right? In these areas like England, where there's a lot of, you know, Stonehenge spots or wherever, and they see the shape get there and they're like, wait, what the fuck? But then again, how would they see it from not an aerial position, right? Which is yeah, interesting. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe we did have aerial fucking flight. You know, we had fucking something. and Or they would climb a mountain or something. But anyways, I think you're on to something there with, uh, with that. Because, you know, if we can emanate... Everything is emanating nature, man. Like science is emanating nature. Mm-hmm. You know, like everything is emanating nature. Like think about, you know quadrupedal animals right dogs and cats things that are mobile we created our our cars based off of animals because we have horsepower exactly exact horses yeah that's like the main one i said dog yeah it's like man (laughs) but yeah you know we emanate that right and so uh we emanate nature man and so i i think uh you know our ancestors that were you know a little bit more observant than we are and they knew what the fuck was actually happening right yeah looking at the stars and shit and they uh, yeah man i don't know it's, well they're uh, super into alchemy and they understood how that all worked so i mean they knew they knew all that shit and they knew about music and they you know knew about resonance and sound yep. and everything that's why they create like the chapels and everything that they did because it resonates sound in them so i mean like i said i don't know anything about alchemy and and crystal manipulation and formation 
but it seems like that would kind of fit into what a star fort would be for right like it would desalinate the water so that way it could bring in fresh water one interesting thing that we could look into would be and they could harvest the salt also which is really important because salt's salt's and very important you can use it to preserve shit right and more Uh, yeah so we, we should look in to see if there is any creeks that run close by these star forts because if there's no creeks then it's possibly beca- uh, more likely a desalinization plant because they're pulling the seawater in and then using that as the fresh water because they don't have a nearby creek or anything to use uh, for a water system now I don't know why there's necessarily two of them in a city or why there's that dichotomy of a sun fort and a moon fort and i don't know what that means or or whatever but um i think that's kind of maybe and and maybe it's a two filter process or something like that i'm not sure well positive that, and negative ion charge or something like that like the i sun think and the moon. i think these cities were built and everything had a purpose and it's and it's its placement you know uh kind of talked about it before that like there's these different buildings in the cities that were considered these different chakra points or Mm -hmm. considered different parts of the body and so in order to have the body of the city you would have to have all these different things and the star fort can very well be that you know it is like the you know i don't know what, what part that would resonate with but it's it's um a super important part and a function of having the complete city at the end whatever time these are built and that's another thing is super mysterious these actual mm, the history behind the timeline on when these were built because they've they've been construed even about what they are that we're not going to get a real timeline you know we're not going to you can't get an archaeological core sample from that because that it's so completely non-mainstream narrative because you know they'll give you the narrative of what that battle fort was for and you know when it they say it was built but i think you know what we're getting at is that that's not the reason that they're there and and that's not the people they were built by and and uh may go way back and something i was gonna say earlier before we started reading was uh there's these kind of like a new Ever since we did the Atlantis and Lemuria month, kind of like a new thought piece, kind of working on, because I, right afterwards, I had to finish Beyond the North Wind because I'd never finished it. Mm. And then it, like where I left off in the book, like almost like nine months later, but where I left off in the book, I was right at the Russia and Hyperborea part. And then after nine months of doing the podcast and shit, like reading more books, I like was listening to the rest of Beyond the North Wind and it just started clicking. Yeah, clicking, and I was like Hyperborea, and like I know you said it's like post Helush, but I'm wondering if Atlanteans were black, Lemurians were Asian, and Hyperboreans were white, and they were all mm. around at the same fucking time. You know, yeah, it's a good possibility. And I think there's possibly another one too. I think there was another root race, and these are the root races or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. because Hyperborea. I think also was a super res i think they were in touch with the more spiritual side just like lemuria 
And I think Atlantis itself was that type of hierarchical thing. But I do think Hyperboreans, because they were connected to the North Pole, so they were like major scientists. You know, they were onto some other shit. Lemuria was kind of like this watery, matriarchal, spiritual, spirit, very spiritual spirals, spiritual snakes. Yeah. Up top, Hyperborea was definitely shapes, spirals, and um, and I think Atlantis was. Uh, yeah, I think I think I think it was probably black. I think it was a lot of like like original Africans, you know, because that's where that that's where the land was, right? That's where Africa is. Like it would be right there, right off the fucking coast. And so, you know, and then you have the middle America, South America, like we were just talking about with Eddie, and I think that's they're like, is it black? Is it Asian? And it's like, well, maybe it's fucking both, because after the deluge. The Lemurians and the Atlanteans have flooded the Americas because that's where the near land was in between them. And they started breeding, maybe, or something. Maybe that's a snake and the eagle, bro. Maybe one of them is a snake, the other one's the eagle. <laughs> and then it's like yeah. where you two meet and then you bone. That's where the land will dry. Yeah. I mean, the snake and the eagle, I mean, you can go to like, it's the sky and the ground so it's the connection of the two just like yeah. the, the griffin the griffin is the king of the jungle and it flies high in the sky that's like the tartarian yeah. thing right so the snake and the eagle would be just another depiction of the same thing but a little slimier oh shit you know what i mean oh man you know that's crazy and when we were talking earlier too about the white the land of white the you know land, land of, ice. of whiteness yeah and ice. I, land of whiteness and ice what if it's not north what if it's south what if it's the fucking antarctica yeah very and well not northern be. ice you know like what because it's closer to south america right like you don't yeah. go all the way from up north to north pole down i mean that's a whole other venture the venture is supremely less in antarctica but I know. I, who, who, knows? who knows man who knows who knows? Maybe, maybe you have the whole like tale with like Hitler and going to Argentina and he's in Antarctica, you know, and it's like there's these underground tunnels that go from there to there. It's like a story, right? Or whatever. Yeah. I mean, and then you got that's at least in the hollow earth shit too. So, you know, I mean we have like the the surface layer type of history that they're giving us that we need to figure out at least the truth of that. But then we also need to just look at the fact that what is this planet, man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like great human history but also like what is this fucking thing and what is it capable of, you know yeah for sure i mean i don't i don't I, who the fuck knows really i mean when you start to think I know, about everything no in idea. like a spiritual sense and how light bends and everything like that then you start to go oh well maybe who who knows maybe it's just only our perspective is so much that we can take in and we just can't even understand the rest you know yeah it's and maybe we're not supposed to know and maybe that's why like there's always going to be flatter there's, there's inner there's outer yeah. you know maybe it's because we're not supposed to know i don't and see why they can't really all be huh I, I don't see why they can't all coexist at the same time. Well, lots of things they fucking do, right? Because like right, exactly. I was looking at uh, I've seen, seen this movie. Actually, dude, I just started. Uh, I watched the Sonic Two the other day, uh, okay. and I was 
watching it with uh, new eyes because I saw the first, well, first of all, I'm a Sega guy, you know, like I love Sega. There's a lot of like weird Sega in general as a game company. And uh, then plus they created the first disc game, right? They, yeah. they, they've always been game changers. Sega. And um, I kind of was like, Sonic is an alchemical story. Dr. Eggman, Dr. Oh. Robot, right? They're after these emeralds. They're after the ultimate emerald. And so like, and so like they were doing all this thing after these crystals and you know, then it like creates a ring, which creates a portal. And so the start of yeah. mushroom, that, right? He's on this planet and he goes and like creates a portal through. This is what he says. This is what he said. He's like, cause he's stuck on the to get out. Right. And he has one of Sonic's hair because Sonic's hair is like, uh, you know, it's cosmic. So he can like he has a little bit of magic like hair and he he point, he make, well, points it to the sky and says, flashlight and whoever comes a knocking, you know, we'll just see. And so basically ripped a portal into time space from the mushroom planet because he's Dr. A and then up portal that got ripped came through these people that wanted to destroy sonic because had like and also sonic's parents are owls by the way he was born of owls and they held the secrets of the emeralds oh crazy. and it's just like what and then and then another epiphany i had during the movie was like that um Sonic and Tails is blue and yellow, which is the Ukraine flag, and then Knuckles uh -huh. is red, and Robotnik was red, and so like it was like Russia versus Ukraine, uh -huh. uh, and it was like it was, it was a whole thing, and I like I was making I was just telling my roommate this, and he was just like shut the fuck up, please, <laughs> like seriously, and I was just like I swear to God, <laughs> it was Russia Ukraine, look at the timing, man, and uh, but. Uh, but other than that, man, Sonic, you know, it's I, I will say Sonic 2 is better than the first one they did. So good Excellent. job on the redemption there. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you, Fire Tribe, for listening all the way fucking through. You're awesome. <laughs> you are awesome. We love you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Good night. Wake up. Wake up. Have a good day. In the middle of the night. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Goodbye.